This summer, we're bringing you double Koi gig. For me, she's the best English centre-back. Play your best players in their best position. I don't think the captain is droppable, particularly after making the statement of dropping Steph Houghton. Subscribe to the OTB Koi gig pod on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, you're very welcome along. It's Tuesday morning. We've got a very, very busy show for you, a very busy day for you. Ireland are playing the Marys in about 45 minutes and we will bring you post-match immediate reaction from Keith Wood. You won't get it on this stream. You'll get it on a new stream, so you'll have to come back to us at 10 o'clock for that. But I know you're going to stay with us all the way until then anyway. And in the meantime, Owen Sheehan, you're back. Alive, alive and well. Yes. How are you? Alive. Your voice is a little bit croaky. Yesterday, would I, I could have showed up, but I actually wouldn't have been able to speak. I was quite astonished. Out of happiness. Yes. Just yes, like happiness. stunned yeah. into silence. Yeah, I was stunned into silence during the second half of Sunday's game, so I, I don't know how my voice has actually gone. I don't, I, I don't think I actually did push the vocal cords that much, but clearly... Because you were I, sat in your seat, collapsed, thinking, this is the worst collapse I've ever seen frozen, from yeah. any team in my life, ever. Do you want to do you want to reveal the messages that you were sending to myself and Tommy in the middle of the game? No, absolutely not. I was just reverse jinxing it. You were comparing them to Mayo. You were like Mayo and green and gold out there. Yeah, it did feel. It did. It, if Kerry lost that game, it would have been an all timer. It would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, but in the end, it is an all timer because uh, Sean O'Shea, Cajones, Cole Jones, as uh, whatever it was, who was that? Was it Muddy? Yeah, Motti and uh, Troy Deeney, whichever you want to go for there. The Cole Jones, that actually, that actually did kind of come into my mind, actually, Troy Deeney's comments, you know. I was kind of like a, a reeling Arsenal fan when Troy Deeney described Arsenal as no Cole Jones. And Sean O'Shea uh, kind of gave Cole Jones my entire sporting existence on Sunday. And it was remarkable. It was like Just on, like on that kind of point that you touched on, it would have been one of the all-time collapses. That's going to be a really interesting talking point for the next two weeks about how much we read into that is that a real concern before the final or is that just something that you have to go through as you try to get over the mountain that is Dublin because like is, is it something like say if you look at the great Limerick hurling team at the moment um, the last couple of years it looks like they've just swept teams aside the first year they got over that mountain it was absolute nerve shredding stuff the, yeah. the extra time against Cork even the final against Galway and then a the couple of years after that you could tell that they were much better than the, those teams the reality is the first year getting up that hill there's just such so many complicating factors around it all that I wonder is that actually does that mitigate it somewhat or actually is this a red flag and, and Kerry are, are going to get done in the final no no they're not going to get done they can't get done at this stage like that that was the bit that they needed to, to overcome like all of those teams if you, if you think about it right um, you know listening to the football pod on the way in James O'Donoghue had made the point last week that they need to sprint over the line they can't fall over yeah. the line and then they did manage to fall over the line which is even better because if they'd sprinted over the line we would have been like oh that Dublin team they were finished it was the end of an era anyway they weren't really blah 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 but it turns out that Dublin team are still really good Yeah. and in that second half they proved their championship mentality right up until the very end when they should have proved it a little bit more and I'd say they'll be kicking themselves for it but it means that uh, Kerry have come through the challenge and so therefore like don't be worrying about the final you can't be talking yourself into worrying about the final oh well I mean Go uh, air grand. I, don't, I don't need to talk myself into worrying about the final whatsoever we there will it's an All Ireland final. You can't not be worried about it. There is well, like, it's an All Ireland final. The way that remember, Dublin played Tyrone the first kick. It's out, not like, game like over. I don't think it's like that at all. That's what it's going to be. It should be. I think this yeah, Galway team is is better than Tyrone of twenty eighteen is. Um, like I, I, I definitely agree with that point. That Kerry needed to sprint over the line. I, I think I said to somebody the morning of the game that Kerry are probably more likely to win by ten points to win by one point. Because and it looked like they were going to at half time. Yeah, and then when it, it becomes a case where they're going to have to win this game by a small margin, you 
actually just don't believe that they are. And you're happy to be so wrong at, at the end because you've seen it so many times. And even the way the second half had gone. Like what, what I found really interesting is that the thing we've been saying about the dubs all year is that their bench just isn't good enough to win in All-Ireland. When Desi makes the changes on 40 minutes, their 40th minute team is better than their starting team, I thought, when you bring Scully and, and Paddy Small into proceedings. And that's even before the comeback starts. I think that's still like a five-point gap. That's when I'm like, this thing is still very much in the fire. And Cormac Costello just delivers one of the all-time great goals. Like That will that will go down as one of those things in a few years where we're like, oh, remember that goal? Yeah. Just got, like Killian Splann in the 2019 drawn game where the loser, the, the, the team on the losing team just scores one of the, the great goals in Croke Park and it, it is kind of all for nothing in the end except for giving the neutral unbelievable drama. Yeah, yeah. I mean, extra time is interesting Like to consider what would have happened. Um, I think Kerry would have won on an extra time. Paddy Andrews be- said the same thing. I believe that. Like uh, Most people were saying afterwards that if we'd gone into extra time that Kerry would have got beaten. And I, I'm just not sure that was the case. I think that if Jack O'Connor gets that team into the dressing room one more time and just everybody chills out a little bit, I think they would have seen it out. Is there a possibility that Clifford's fitness, because he's been injured and hasn't been training properly, uh, wasn't enough to get him to the same level in the second half and so therefore he might have been diminished in extra time yeah possibly that, that's that's one of the factors but I, I still think that I suppose all the what's the what's the subs situation in extra time oh, no. away you go away you go for, for like free reign again yeah like I think that if you'd gone deeper into the squad but you can you can bring you can just players back on yeah so you're just reading like David Moran starts again yeah yeah at, at the start of it like um, um, yeah, like so. I I don't know. I I think again. This maybe isn't. That was just a little bit of a hunch. But I was, my entire thought process midway midway through the second half was just get to extra time at this point because I was full sure that Dublin were going to win. I was like, just get to extra time and get them back into the dressing room, chill out, stop shooting into the hill because uh, that seems to be like a, it seems to be something that people are talking about more and more in recent years. Seems to be a thing. Clifford's radar was off in the second half. Dermot O'Connor dropping the ball short was. That was probably the moment my voice box decided that, that, that you're you're done. You're absolutely done. And I think Joe O'Connor had the ball in a shooting position and decided to turn around and pa- pass it backwards as well. That uh, sequence of events shooting to the hill was excruciating. It, it definitely seemed to be bad for everybody. And so maybe that was the one thing that, like the, the, the windiness of that part of the stadium, like the wind has been blustery uh, in recent weeks where you're sitting, I, I live right beside Croke Park, you're sitting in the back garden and it's like oh, can't, I'm going to go for cycle can't go for cycle it's too windy and then five minutes later totally fine Yeah, bammy conditions so maybe that's why Clifford is like shaking his head going oh, I mean I've just done everything I did in the first half and the ball has gone wide um, but he, so. he was getting the distance on it they were just going wide and it was into the headwind which was um, which was strange but the, the terrible wides that Dublin kicked in the first half yeah, like they, the they spirit sapping wides like um, it doesn't make any sense like that, that is a kind of one of the, the strange quirks of the game as well when you look back on it it's that Kerry probably came off the pitch at half time thinking they could have been 10 points up but like Kerry took an early was it two or three point lead and I still thought they were the second best team in that first quarter that Dublin had the better opportunities they did that thing where they were getting into good scoring zones and they were just missing their opportunities and then it was just the second quarter where Kerry killed them and just didn't make it count fully on the scoreboard yeah yeah. Uh, Joseph Hannan says nerves of steel from Sean O'Shea to be honest under undue pressure from the hill what? I see, I see a lot of people giving out about like, oh, there's noise when people are taking freeze or wides are being cheered. It's like, come on. This is this is like two teams. The prize is the big prize. You're you're behind the team. But come on, we need we need an atmosphere. Mm. This is not checkers. It matters. People yeah. have put thought and time and effort into this. Uh, a Clifford wide is the equivalent of a score. 
Yeah, and like that, yeah, it really is. You know, and that's and the same for from the other side of things like that. Niall Scully wide gave massive oxygen to the Kerry fans. Yeah, like and there was a lot of Kerry fans there on on Sunday, and the, they were doing the exact same thing as the Dubs, cheering when John Small got the black card. Like uh, I know we like to criticize the Dublin fans, and I like to. I've done that quite a lot in the past, but I mean it's hypocrisy. It's just pure blatant hypocrisy like the Kerry fans do it as well. Oh, totally, yeah. Uh, Dean M says, that wouldn't have been an all-time collapse. The first half wide was the big difference. Scully's hitting hope wide in the last five minutes was the big difference in the closing stages. No way Kerry wins an extra time. No doubt, though, one of the best kicks ever. Um, yeah. So what was, what, was, what was the prognosis afterwards? Uh, but like, I, I think it's just hard to get away from that moment uh, in the, the aftermath. Like, that was the greatest moment I've ever had as a Kerry fan. It is the greatest moment as a sports fan of my life. Right. I don't. I don't think there's one that's better. I like. I the joy in 2014 after they win the All Ireland is obviously incredible, but there isn't really a singular moment in the 2014 final on that level. Like 2018 when we were in Clonus, we almost all passed out in in the terrace in the heat after Clifford scores that last gasp goal. But that's to draw the game and Kerry don't get out of that group. 2001, obviously, with Morris was absolutely insane and possibly a, a better effort again and possibly one of the, the greatest points I've ever seen scored. But again, Kerry get destroyed in the semi-final. And that does bring you to the point that this moment in isolation is fantastic, but it only truly gets rubber-stamped if Kerry win the final. But it doesn't matter. It, like That doesn't change your celebration at the time because all you can do is react to Kerry getting out of jail, coming what felt like from behind they weren't behind but it felt like they were behind coming from the death to, to win this thing and we don't get that in Gaelic games very often Kerry have won all Ireland's by landslide in the past all my life it's been killing teams in the final except for 14 except for 97 and 2000 where I was maybe a little bit too young but this was just in just one moment wrapped up the, the, the happiest you could possibly feel because it was a walk off win we just don't get that at all and we sometimes forget as well that Kerry's weight to beat Dublin is longer than Kerry's wait to win Sam Maguire. Like, they didn't beat Dublin in 2014, so the drought against Dublin was longer than the drought for Sam. And I don't care, I completely see why people are saying, you know, you've got to win the final now, but that doesn't change how happy you feel in the moment. It was the single greatest moment as a sports fan, and, and it won't be topped. Uh, Unless well, they, like, do something so weird in the final, and the final is decided. Well, it won't be topped this year, like, but maybe they might do a five in a row in your lifetime. Which I don't. I don't think. Of, I don't think a consecutive All Ireland will ever come close to getting. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think you, the whole point you've is you've killed that, Dublin. You've killed. That's what it feels that's like. That's the whole point. Yeah, that's the whole point. That, that, that and is. It, it could be so psychologically scarring for that group that now you're the team with the upper hand. There's a there's a Kevin McManaman bang off this. Yeah, it's in it's reverse, like, obviously. Yeah, but I think it's it's the Cluxton in in 2011 moment, and that was just absolutely galling, absolutely galling from the opposite uh, perspective, and. You know, they all always say that you kind of remember the lowest moments more than the the joy and the happy moments. That's just not true after what Sean O'Shea did on on Sunday. I don't. I think this will go down for as for every Kerry fan as the the greatest singular moment as as a supporter of that team. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, do the Dublin bandwagoners understand they've only one game in Croke Park this year? Asks Richard Redballs. Uh, Shifty Lad says I really give Galway a big chance in this final lad 72 great price and imagine the poor Mayo supporters looking at it through their fingers yeah Nathan said it would be great if all the remaining teams could lose and Stephen says with David Clifford's composure I'm sure he would have scored the penalty the conditions with the crosswind and the heat were major factors on both teams um, yeah and it looked it, it was the hottest day of the year up to that point um, Clifford taking penalties he's such a good striker of the ball you can't take Sean O'Shea off the penalties. You're not going to. But like I, I was 
I didn't remember that O'Shea takes the penalties. I was surprised. It was like... Yeah, same. Just give it to Clifford. Yeah, and, and Clifford's taken penalties before. Sports psychology is a weird thing, isn't it? Like, Sean O'Shea's penalty was so bad that he would have had to have been affected by the Comerford injury and the clear mind games that were at play. The ingenuity from the Dublin shithousery. <laughs> like, it was all time. I sorry, we, we haven't, couldn't believe it. Like, we haven't talked about Like, Evan Comerford's game is the greatest single monument to shithousery in GA history. <laughs> He is like, it's like all of Tyrone and Armagh combined into one person in one game. The bit at the end, I didn't even notice this. Did you, you see this, right? Shaking the posts. I didn't know it at the time. Oh, yeah, I didn't was, see it at all. Yeah, it was, um, that was pretty funny. And the thing is, you get away with it. The yeah. rules are like, if, if he shakes the posts and the ball bangs off the post while it's shaking, he gets a booking. There's no retake. All right, okay. That's it. That's so your chance. Henley got a retake. La- uh, the, the, the Henley thing came into my head as well on Sunday. I was like, just please somebody run in front of Sean O'Shea here because he's going to miss it and then we get another goal. Uh, the only other thing about that was that um, Derry did the five-man wall. Right? Yeah, and Connor Glass turning around in circles. Yeah, Dublin had three men. I was like, lads, you know, this might be hard for you to like, throw somebody up. Oh, but then, I'm not sure did he see this, but... Rugby like, lifting. Jo- Joe O'Connor was going up to one of the Dublin lads standing and push- shoving him around. And I'm like... You're going, to give, you're going to give away a hot ball here. Like, just don't touch them. Let them do what they want. One last thing. He took about four and a half minutes over the free. He did, yeah. And is there no point where it's like, <whistles> throwing that up now, you had your chance? Yeah. There was, oh, surely we were borderline with that. I'm not sure. I was just kind of, to be honest, I was just kind of thinking, is he taking enough time here where he's actually going to let Dublin go back up the pitch again? I thought so too. Like, just for the sake of the game. Yeah. Like, we deserve that. Yeah, but there's no replays, you see. So, uh He's not getting the message from on high saying get, get this day to another day. But out of like, you know, sporting blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Paul McGee says, I was about to ask, Owen has touched on it. Was Sean O'Shea's free better than Morris Fitz's free kick? I mean... I'm not sure it was a better, but it was a better moment, even if Kerry lose the final. Uh, well, let's wait and... Uh, we're, we're in the, the... We're prisoner of the moment right now. But we if are they, pr- if they absolutely. Lose, if they lose the final, we are s- that moment will be soured for you forever. It won't be soured, no. The final will be the sour moment. Yeah, but the season will be like, you'll be... Yeah, the season overall will, but like you can't just, you can't forget how you felt in that moment. No, it's true. It's true. It's, like I'd say he felt like feverish when Morris Fitz... Uh, yeah. But the same. Yeah, so, sorry, uh, yeah. It's just that in retrospect, you're like, well, it didn't really mean that much to it. I meant, I meant loads. Uh, Kieran has already said, good morning from London, gentlemen. Did you ever see more turnovers in a game like the game on Sunday? Superb and things that you can learn from. Um... I thought both teams managed to keep possession of the ball for a long time and then the random bad solo straight into your opponent. I was like, well, this is, is it nerves? What's going on? Mm. Like, excellent all-stars, top quality players, some of the best young players in the country soloing the ball into contact and careering off their shin. I was like, well, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, the, the kind of the lateral hand passing and slow methodical build-up is fairly nerve-shredding. It was obviously very funny that the Dubs were booing the, the Kerry lateral hand-passing. Have, have you watched your team? <laughs> have, you, have you seen how you got the, the six in a row? I, I met somebody afterwards who was complaining about Kerry's cynicism. I was right, like, hang yeah. on a second. What? Like, did you see your goalkeeper? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I mean, in fairness, I think that maybe uh, Kerry people would have complained about Dublin cynicism in the past when they were losing. And you'd always come to this realisation a few days later that Kerry needed to find that edge and needed to find that level as well if they were going to be winners. I mean, uh, rather than complaining about the opposition exactly and that's what the point I was making about Kildare they need to dark arts their way through the game and then you're four goals down after 15 minutes certain sections like I think even 
think even Galway on Saturday kind of showed that like early on there was a lot of Galway fans around me who were very impatient about their slow build-up play and I was like I can see where you're coming from but also this speaks to me of a team who just aren't panicking yet like they, they, they haven't like really pre- pressed that button at all they're happy to, to keep going with what their game plan instruction was which was to slow the game down don't let Derry counter a pace and don't let them get their early goal and they, they were they were pretty well tuned into that and I, I think that mental strength was something maybe that that, that kind of stood out to me from, from Saturday kind of a, a winning mentality that Galway had Kenny the dad says Sean O'Shea should have been sent off for kicking the keeper in the head but hey ho I saw a lot of people outraged at, uh, mm. at what happened. It's like, I don't know. Are you allowed to just lie in the ball? Don't think you are. Is, yeah. that, is that another penalty? I'd like, I think the, I mean, I think the last couple of days have probably shown that there is, uh, that the Twitter is definitely where the, the worst things happen. Like seeing some of the stuff that people are saying of Sean O'Shea, like, you know, um, and kind of the suggestion that he deliberately went out to, to kick Evan Comerford in the head. Well, and also, also, the the, ball. also the victim mentality of, of so many people out there was like, that was a dub. Oh, like man. the kind of the self-centered nature of some of the analysis on Twitter, in particular, if that was a dub, yeah. um, if that was John Small, he would have been he would have been a Mount Joy. I saw, I saw somebody say, "I was like, didn't John Small get away with the very incident that you're talking about last year? Didn't he? Didn't that go unpunished? And Dublin almost scored a goal off it and almost survived that thing. It, like, regardless of that, it's like the what about us? We we are the, the victims here, which I guess all sports fans do feel. Uh, Danny Max says, "I feared for Comerford after he really got kicked in the head." Uh, too much Kerry Joy is being taken from that win says Dean M come on lads these are better than that great free kick but a lot less pressure on a winning kick versus an equaliser for the replay um, obviously it wouldn't have been a replay but uh, I mean there is more pressure on the there is yeah but at the like, same time it doesn't really matter it's still quite a lot of pressure and also you are a legend for doing it yeah like I mean I'm, I'm sure I'm not sure who's that person from Dublin but like did they say the same thing about Stephen Cluxon and that kick it's like it's not as memorable anymore because it was to win the game yeah I forget about it I mean there was no, pr- no pressure on that kick um, it wasn't, it wasn't to, to survive it wasn't coming from behind you win. have literally spoken to Sean O'Shea on this show about his process for a moment like this it was like you were I don't know if you've read The Secret. I certainly have not read The Secret. I've not read The Secret. But I've, you know, I've seen enough of it in my, tweeted into my timeline to know that this is kind of what you were doing. You were like, you were manifesting for Sean O'Shea to score something like this. That was, you were using, wielding your power, your Kerry Mafia power for good. Yeah, at long last, the magic powers worked. Did you yeah. feel a little bit responsible? I did, yeah. Sean, tell us about it. Tell us about it. Yeah, nice. If you've missed one, you actually, you ask him, if you miss one, what do you do? And he's like, he's just missed a penalty. Mm. And he's like, do you know what? I remember that time Sheehan interviewed me. Shane, he would have got your name correct. He would have. And uh, I just blink it away. Yeah. That's what I do. So blink it away, Sean. You're he's welcome. Thinking, he's thinking of you. You're welcome. When the, when the ball's going down, there's just that moment where the, the whole place goes silent for him. We're all on Maelstrom. He's silent thinking, I'll TV AM that time. Hey, man, was right. That's what I did, yeah. Grant, stick it over. No What's problem. his name again? Yeah. Uh, like he, he also said in that piece that like he took a year out after doing his leaving cert and just became like a professional minor footballer and he was down the local pitch every day just pinging 45s and he said that was the year he became a, a very good free taker which was which was interesting and I, I think the context around that conversation as well was the start of the 2020 championship season and 19 he almost like loses the All-Ireland for Kerry remember he fouls Dean Rock over by the sideline in the drawn game Rock misses the free eventually and it does go to a replay but like that could have also been a part of the context on Sunday where Sean O'Shea had lost the All-Ireland for Kerry in 19 a long range free is scored by Rock in 19 and uh, the mirror image is him doing it to knock Dublin out three years later Right OTVAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. Your comments are rolling in on our YouTube stream. They're also at Off the Ball AM on Twitter. Um, 
Daniel Harris is coming up in just a moment. We're going to talk about the uh, Manchester United pre-season, how it's going. Andy Friend is going to join us at 10 past 8. We've got the sports pages for you at 8.35. Lee Keegan's going to join us at 8.50 for his reflection on the weekend's games. Uh, Shane Cook at 10 past 9. Monday Night Rugby at half 9. And then Keith Wood is going to join us live again at 10 o'clock on a new stream to give us post-match reaction to the game between uh, the New Zealand Marys and Ireland. It is All-Ireland Hurling final week. While we're talking football, it's time for us to turn our attention to the hurling. Uh, we're going to have Tommy Welsh in studio with us tomorrow. That's how important and big it is. He's coming all the way up from Kilkenny just to talk to us about the hurling tomorrow. We have four priceless tickets to give away on the show this week, and it's all with thanks to Borg Gosh Energy. 2022 marks the sixth year of Borg Gosh Energy sponsorship of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championship. And to celebrate... Every day this week, we're giving away a €150 one-for-all voucher. And more importantly, each winner will go into Friday's draw for an incredible grand prize of a €1,500 one-for-all voucher and four tickets to Sunday's All-Ireland Final between Limerick and Kilkenny. To enter, tune in to tonight's show. It's all thanks to Borgosh Energy. You can search the hashtag GiftOfTheGab for more. Now, we return to the weekly drama that is Manchester United. Daniel Harris. Daniel, good morning to you. How are you? Oh, Hello, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, I'm reading uh, reports of training sessions at the moment. That's what that's the stage we're at with um, the Manchester United correspondent. It's a tough piece. <laughs> and yet, it's genuinely interesting in a way that um, they're, they're, maybe, maybe they didn't have the access under the previous manager to, to try and see exactly what was happening. But it does seem like uh, Ten Hag wants everybody to know we're we're changing our style of play. I'm in charge of the training sessions. I'm telling the players literally what to do, and this is our future. So, what, when you're reading those, are you seeing stuff that makes you think, okay, yeah, there's an adult in the room. This is all good, or are you like, well, what's going on here? We, we're still a little bit behind where we need to be. It's funny. I laughed when you said that we're seeing training sessions because that does feel like a piece of news, doesn't it? Because for the last little bit of time, United haven't looked like they coach. They were coaching anyway, really, under Ralph Rangnick. Under Solskjaer, it was a little bit different. You could see that some things were coped. The way that they were able to counterattack was excellent. But in terms of general controlling play, that wasn't the case. And I think that's going to be quite a significant change. Um, and under the new management, the, the aim will be to try and dominate games. And uh, Eric Ten Hag has managed the team in a different league, but a team who were able to control games. And everything that everyone is saying is that the players are enjoying the sessions. I mean, I don't just mean the stuff that they're saying to MUTV or whatever, but, but some of the writers who obviously have some contacts on the ground do seem to think that things are improving in that aspect. And I think we were sat here last, last season saying for most of the season that although this team is absolutely dreadful, they needn't be as dreadful as this. And uh, I think we will see something better because it's not possible for any of these guys to play worse than they did last season. The um, the specific bit that I was reading about was um, where Aaron Wan-Bissaka was being told to tuck in when the ball was on the other side of the field and how uh, Malaysia, the new left-back, is far more adept at actually doing the, the thing that the, the manager wants. So, um, I mean, in a way, I, I mean, I, I think um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka got completely written off. I still think he'd make a really good centre-back. But anyway, uh, maybe just coaching the players is all they actually need to be better than they were. And the, the transfer window is actually less important than getting more out of the current players. Uh, I wouldn't say one was more important than the other. I think the thing with Wan-Bissaka is that he did have some potential and he things things didn't go well for him last season. So 
The problem I would say with him is you say he could be a good centre-back and sometimes you watch him and think that, but his inability to look over his shoulder and defend the back post is one of those things that you shouldn't really need telling about and you would definitely, if if you're not able to do it as a right-back, then doing it in a different position would also be problematic. I think the thing with Wan-Bissaka in particular, apart from that back post thing, which has been a massive problem all the time he's been at United, is that the improvements on the ball that you hope to see weren't so forthcoming because Wan-Bissaka got to youth team level as a winger. So I kind of assume that with a little bit more coaching, perhaps a little bit more confidence to go and do the things, he would be able to do them because how else could you have possibly got that far up as a winger? Um, Then you would watch United play and obviously United would totally focus on the left wing. And that meant that you got much less out of Jaden Sancho when he was playing on the right. And that was a lot to do with Wan-Bissaka. So if you look at the diagrams of where, uh, where Jaden Sancho gets the ball on the left versus on the right, he gets the ball in much better positions when he's been playing on the left because on the right, he gets no help. And that means the teams can almost forget about United's right wing because they can concentrate their resources on defending the left. And then if the ball does get switched over, it's likely to be only one player who's going to be any kind of danger. Now, if Eric, I mean, very early on, we were told that Eric Tenach had told Wan-Bissaka he could go. Now, that may or may not be the case, but it did. I mean, you talked about Malassia. It's kind of strange that not the United have signed a left back because I think what's happened there is Tenach has said, this guy's brilliant and he's cheap. We must get him. And even though a left back's not as necessary as a right back, but there doesn't don't seem to be any plans to sign a right back. The rumours you see about United, apart from Urien Timber, who's not coming, who was presumably being signed as a centre-back anyway, who might be able to cover a couple of other positions, but there are no connections with the right back. So it would seem amazing to me if the manager decided that he thought that Dallow and Wambisaka were sufficient in that area. I don't think he'd want to rely on Ethan Laird at this point, but perhaps he wants to see all three of them before deciding what he's going to do in that position. Uh, I guess the the other thing that's interesting is that he's going to stick with the outgoing captain, which is one of those big decisions that the captain of Manchester United is a totemic figure in English football. And um, I guess he's decided, I have Harry Maguire here. I'm not going to get enough money to replace him. So again, maybe I'm going to try and use him as something that uh, will be a useful asset for me. And one way of doing that is to tell him I I love him and I believe in him. And uh, it's, it's man management. Does this is this something that is uh, hopeful for Manchester United fans or is it a bit concerning? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure because what he said was that Maguire's the captain, but if, he, if he's committing 50 million, 50 million euros or whatever it could be to sign, um, to sign Lisandro Martinez, then Harry Maguire's not going to play every game probably, is he? Because, uh, assume, I mean, obviously Varane is always capable of uh, sustaining some kind of injury. But if everyone's fit, then Maguire's not necessarily going to be in the team. So if Maguire's not in the team, then you make a different decision. But I think that turning up and before you've played any games, telling someone who upon whom you currently have to rely that they're not going to be captain anymore, uh, at the same time agitating them and anyone else who might be their mates in the squad before anyone's actually played any football just doesn't seem like a move. I think what we'll know what happens, what's going to happen with Harry Maguire, not based on what Tenach says in a pre-season, before a pre-season has even started, but what he says if and when he has a different option. And if he's got Varane and, um, and Martinez available, then 
seems unlikely that you would go and spend 50 million quid on someone for them to be good next season or for them to take six months to settle in or whatever. The plan, I imagine, would be that he's your left-sided centre-back because he's left-footed, he's got a good range of passing. And then the other the other position is between, they've got Lindelof, Varane and uh, Maguire. And if they're all fit, that doesn't sound like a very difficult decision as to who you're going to pick. Do you think Ten Hag is planning for life with or without Cristiano Ronaldo? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, Ronaldo, the thing about Ronaldo is that it seemed a strange way to go about getting a move it, by, by, by briefing that you wanted one to various people unless you had an out. And increasingly, it sounds like he doesn't have a particular out because if he did, it feels like that might be further along by now. So it doesn't look like Chelsea are going to buy him. Doesn't look like Bayern Munich are going to buy him. And apart from those two clubs, where on earth could he possibly go to have any chance of winning the Champions League? The answer is not obvious. So I think there's a fairly reasonable chance that Ronaldo is going to stay for that, just because even if, if even just for that reason alone, he doesn't have anywhere to go who can afford to, they can afford to pay his wages and he can play in the Champions League and have a chance of winning it. Does that create a little bit of a backlog? Not of a, sorry, a backlog. Does that create a, a little bit of an issue in the sense that United would have been forced into just bringing in some new blood into attacking positions, probably signed a new centre forward, even just by the, into the fact that it would have had Ronaldo's wages off, off the books and that forward planning in that position just gets pushed back a tad. Does that concern you at all? Uh, I don't think so because although United were interested in Darwin Nunez, apart from that, there aren't many obvious centre-forwards on the market who you would go and sign and say, this one is the one to have. I also think that, I think what they would probably have been trying to do is try and spend the money, like try and do the midfield and the defence this summer, give the attackers another chance because there are some good players there. If you've, you've got Elanga, you've got Sancho, um, you've got Rashford, it looks like you've probably got Martial as well. And those, those players can do much more than they showed that they could do last season. Plus, you've also got Bruno Fernandes, who's a reliable goal scorer. So I think that the idea would probably be that the midfield just need, needed, needed sorting immediately. So they're trying to get De Jong in to play there. And it looks like they've already got Christian Eriksen. So that area of the side has started. They've signed one defender. They're trying to sign another defender. And I think then the idea would be to see to see what happens with the attackers that they've got this season, including Ronaldo. Then Ronaldo leaves and he spent then, because you've dealt with most of the rest of the team, then what, almost the entirety of the transfer budget next season, if you need it, you can spend on the best striker available. And that kind of money wouldn't necessarily be available this summer. And also you don't necessarily know what kind of player you're after or who that player is. Now, that's not a foolproof. That's not a foolproof scheme because let's assume Ronaldo doesn't stay. Let's assume Ronaldo stays this summer, but then leaves when his contract runs out the following summer. Then whoever you buy is not going to be the same kind of striker as Ronaldo because that player doesn't really exist. So the question then is: Can Tenach get Ronaldo to do some to do what he needs him to do? Will, will Ronaldo do it? Is he prepared to? Or can you find a workaround that means the team can function with Ronaldo not quite doing what Tenach would usually want the centre forward to do? And then next season, you can slot someone in once you've got a more coherent team, a better idea of whether Marcus Rashford's going to be any use anymore, a better idea of what, whether Elanga's going to be good enough. 
And then you take a view as to, you know, what kind of striker you want and you've got a better idea because the players that you might sign have all had another year to try and, to try and show whether or not they're good enough. The point you were making earlier on about Jadon Sancho's game being impacted by playing in front of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, the whole team will be impacted if there is a requirement to play Ronaldo. And, I mean, you know, obviously... He's not required to, but there will be this sense that you have to pick Ronaldo because he's the goal scorer and it might not be the right thing for the team. So that that's a difficult balancing act for a new manager who wants to win the fans over, who wants a, a long-term future at the club and who has to find a solution to a problem that didn't really end up being easily found last season by two separate managers. Um, that's true, but I think, um, I mean, Ten Hag has managed that kind of Ajax, so where he, for a while, he played Dusan Tadic up front, and that succeeded nicely, and then he replaced him with Sebastian Allaire, who's a completely different player, and that worked too. I think the decision you might need to make with Ronaldo is, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to, because last season he sort of found himself almost playing two positions, where he'd be trying to come deep and get involved in the play, but then you'd also need him more or less playing between the width width of the posts. I think that he's much more likely to get one set of sensible instructions this season than he got last season. I think that also, if you think about the fact that teams were just strolling through United, there was no midfield buffer, really. So teams were able to get through United and field quite quickly. United weren't able to retain possession and control games. And one of the reasons the, mid- one of the, reasons the midfield needs sorting is just because the current existing players aren't good enough. But another reason the midfield needs- needed sorting was because the combination of players didn't allow you to control the game. Should United get Frankie de Jong, that will give them a much better, a much better chance of controlling games. And if you've got that, it means that you're taking the pressure off the defence because they're not constantly getting attacked uh, because they get, they, there's some ballast in front of them. But also you're getting much more out of the attackers because you're going to create much more just by virtue of having much more of the ball and much better quality possession with the ball. To, to, so that to, also will mean that you get more out of Ronaldo or anyone else who happens to be playing centre-forward. OK, I have two quick questions on the De Jong situation. Are we sure he's still that good and, and that... Um effective he's been okay at Barcelona you wouldn't say it's been a stunning success which is kind of why he's available slash unavailable um, that's the first question and the second one is really if he is that important to everything if he's like the thing that unlocks the whole situation then why the hell haven't they just paid whatever the money is and get him in because like they can totally afford it um, I can see to some extent why they don't want to pay the money. Like, why sh- he's deferred wages for Barcelona during COVID. Why on earth should United foot that bill? Why should they pay his wages for when he was playing to Barcelona? I mean, United don't run in the same way that some football clubs run, where they just give the money because the people who run the club want to take money out rather than put money in and they're bothered about making money before they're bothered about being good at football. So there's that. But no one wants people to laugh at them or to feel that, like, why should United pay his wages for a time when he was playing for Barcelona? So I do have an understanding of that. And there's also, with the money, there's an opportunity cost because United's then if you spend money on one thing, can't spend it on another thing. So I can see why they don't want to do it. But yeah, at some point you might think sometimes you 
need to put the football first and say, we need him, we want to get him in, let's just get this done and be done with it. So I see, I do see both sides of that. But then in terms of De Jong and his success at Barcelona, I think the kind of role that Tenach has in mind for De Jong is not the kind of role he plays at Barcelona. Barcelona play 4-3-3. They play uh, Busquets in front of the back four. And then in front of them, they've got Pedri and Gavi as basically two eights, if we have to call things that now. Uh, whereas I think De Jong, he's not really a six because he wants to run about the pitch and get into adventures. So you can't have him playing just in front of the back four because then you're limiting what he's able to do. So I think the way that Ten Hag's going to play is he's probably going to play 4-2-3-1. So he wants someone else next to De Jong so that De Jong is the guy you want taking the ball off the back four because he's a great passer and a brilliant ball carrier. So he can take the ball off the defence and kind of set the play. But he's not going to be an anchor because in order to be able to do that effectively, he's got to move. You want him to be popping up in different areas of the pitch. So I'm not sure who's going to play next to him. So to me, that's actually a more pertinent question than who's going to, what are they going to do on, on next to De Jong to allow De Jong to do his thing? Then is De Jong still good? Although when you sign any player, pretty much, you never really know what they're going to do until you see him. You see all these things that people write and say about this team won the transfer window like it's some kind of separate sport or this team's had a great window. And the truth is, is you never know. United won the league three years in a row. They signed Veron and Van Nistelrooy and then they didn't win the league. And sometimes it's about the balance of a team, but it also can just be more, even more, it's just, it can be about the alchemy of the personalities as well. And that kind of thing, you never really know how good someone is until you see him play. So, What's the scenario most likely then here where Manchester United have a midfield of Frankie de Jong and a another? Uh, who is that person, do you think? Who do you think it's going to be? Uh, I don't know. If you watch, uh, like watching Christian Eriksen play for Brentford last season, he played quite deep. I'm not sure that you'd feel that you could get away with de Jong, Eriksen and Bruno in all the games. But I wouldn't be surprised to see it in some of the games with Ericsson playing a bit deeper. Otherwise, um, I, think, I think it's more likely in the end to be McTominay than Fred because Fred is more of a, he's kind of a, a mouse at Fred. You want him chasing about, winning the ball back a bit higher up the pitch. McTominay is also not, not someone who's really a number six, but he's a, he's a better ball carrier than Fred. He's more physical. And the thing with McTominay, I think, is his long-range passing can be quite good. The problem with him is it's more about explaining to him, and I don't understand why anyone's been un- unable to explain this to him previously because it doesn't seem very complicated, but explaining to him that you have to that he finds himself unable to take the ball off the back four quite often because he's standing in the cover shadow. So he's blocked by someone pressing from the other team. Now, that doesn't seem like something that should be compli- that should be difficult to sort out. So... If they can sort that out, then my guess would be McTominay. But if you said to me which players do you want to buy this summer, I would be saying my top three in order would be midfielder, midfielder, right back. Um, I guess what's happened is Tenach knows that Zandre Martinez is available, so he thinks he's good enough to play for him. So he's trying to buy him because he's available and he knows that he's good. And I think one of the things with Tenach is that because you've got players who come to United not really because of United, because of him, it means that it's possible that the best players he can sign are players that have played for him before because the other best players he might want to sign won't come to United at this point because they're not in the Champions League. It's been a bit of a graveyard for anyone half decent yeah. over the last nine years. 
but there are other players who will come and play for Ten Hag because they, they like played him. for him before so yeah. they're signing to play for him because they trust him that's fair enough uh, one quick question about um, England's 8-0 win over Norway last night we expected that to be a game which was much more even um, so uh, you know it's ultimately a massive statement from the England women's team at a home Euros uh, football's coming home <laughs> yes uh, I mean that was it, that was a brilliant performance because Norway are not mugs and I think one of the things what, that you're seeing with this England team is the difference a proper coach makes England, England should have won the last World Cup when they got to the final, really. But they didn't seem to know what they were doing because Phil Neville was managing them. I mean, even to this day, it's just absolutely staggering that Phil Neville somehow got that job based on what exactly. And it felt to me at the time that that was, that was the difference. A proper manager and they win that competition. Whereas now they've got a much better manager and they've got so many players in form. Um, the way that they've sorted out the midfield with um, with Walsh and Stanway has given them some really good control. Um, Beth Mead, just also someone who I think maybe lacked a bit of confidence the season before last, but um, under Jane Sidebell, oh, she's just she, she's she's come on so much, and um, they are absolutely rammed for the goals, um, and not just on the pitch either, but they've got so much so much on the bench as well that they've got the opportunity to change games that aren't going their way. Um, I think one the one one signs of caution is just there are other good teams in this competition, and I just I couldn't help while I was watching while I was watching the highlights. So I was on the plane yesterday, so I didn't actually see the game live. Thinking of um, Argentina against Serbia, yeah, um, in two thousand and six, where you kind of watched that game. Argentina just wiped Serbia off the pitch, and you thought, oh my gosh, how is a team? This is this is the best team in this competition. Yeah, but it's not that often the best team in the group stages is still the best team at the end of the competition. No, but. Other teams will be watching that and they will be hoping they avoid England in the draw. Well, that Argentina team did famously leave Leo Messi on the bench when they needed a goal in extra time. So, you know, <laughs> you, you would hope that uh, something similar might not happen to this England team if that's going to be the case. Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. It's Daniel Harris there. Um, a slight delay on the line. 12 minutes past eight. The uh, New Zealand, the Mary All Blacks are 5 0 up against Ireland. They made a whirlwind start. We knocked on basically from the kickoff. Uh, from the scrum we ended up giving away a penalty eventually and uh, just off the top lineup ball was run into the far corner and it was a beautiful beautiful try for the uh, Mary All Blacks but oh. it looks like Ireland have just about to equalise are we yeah is that Jimmy O'Brien with a try it is is it going to be given um, bit of quick thinking from Keith Earls yeah the try's been given Larmer it's Larmer he runs it in under the post so it's going to be a 7-5 lead for Ireland after uh, 8 minutes of that game this morning uh, Michael Bent is on the bench for Ireland. It looks like Finley Bealham is not available today. We're going to try and find out if um, he's actually injured or what the crack is with that. Now, just a reminder that uh, Brayburn Coffee uh, is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball. You can get it in Apple Green. Uh, Brayburn Coffee goodness at Apple Green is also available for one lucky viewer. All you got to do uh, to win a €100 Euro voucher is to enter our competition. Check out at Off The Ball on Twitter. Like and retweet our Brayburn competition post and you'll be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road. Available at Apple Green today. After the break, we're live with Connacht head coach Andy Friend. OTB AM.
It is 17 minutes past eight. Uh, Ireland lead the Mary All Blacks 7-5 with 11 minutes on the clock in the game there this morning. The uh, news is that Michael Bent is on the bench. Finlay Beelham was ruled out after the warm-up with injury, so hopefully it's not too serious and he'll be able to take his place uh, in the matchday squad for the game on Saturday morning. Now, Connacht Rugby are actually organising a special provincial-wide charity cycle on Saturday the 13th of August. It's an aid of Sligo native Claire Carpenter. On the 10th of February, the 35-year-old Sligo native Claire Carpenter suffered a serious and life-changing event. So Care for Claire is the name of the cycle. After a few days of feeling unwell, she suffered a stroke at her home in Killeney and uh, after being rushed to the ICU of Beaumont, she was placed in an induced coma for over a week following a life-saving operation. She's now thankfully on the road to recovery, but significant funds need to be raised to allow her to continue her rehabilitation in Dunleary and eventually lead an independent life at home. The 218-kilometre cycle from the sports ground uh, in Galway to Sligo RFC will involve both Connacht staff members and club volunteers, all with the aim of raising much-needed funds. You can support this event on social using the hashtag CareForClaire. One person participating in it is Connacht head coach Andy Friend. Andy, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, initiatives like this are like they're hugely important for the individual at the centre of it, but it's also a, a kind of measure of the community aspect of your team and the people who work with you and the supporters of the team as well. So, you know, it's it's important that stuff like this happens, not just for the individual, but also just to kind of remind everybody that the community is a real thing, that the community of Connacht Rugby is a real thing, and when one of their own needs help, they're there for them. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the, you know, the three words that that uh, depict our values are ambition, belief, and community, and communities probably the biggest one um and as you said correctly there something like this happens to to uh, a staff member and staff members partner uh, in claire three young kids um you know everyone wants to get behind that everyone wants to support and and it shows you the power of community to be honest with you and and also the power of rugby that um yeah, there has been such amazing support already, but uh, yeah, this is another initiative that's that's come forward to to try and raise some much needed funds for for Claire and her family. How much of the cycle will you be doing? I'll try and do the whole thing, mate. Right, okay, two hundred eighteen kilometres. Because um, one of the times we spoke to you over the last eighteen months, you'd um, suffered a bit of an injury. I hope you're fully recovered ahead of a cycle that distance. Yeah, it'll uh, it'll test it out. But yeah, I, that's that's about seventeen months ago now. I did a. Well, not even that. Maybe fourteen months ago, I did a quad tendon, but um, I've been back on the bike, knowing that uh, that the thirteenth of August is looming. So um, I've got some K's in the legs. We'll see how we go. Right. Okay. Uh, how how has your off season been? What's it been like? Yeah, it's been good. It's been a good break, um, but we're back now. We're back into training. So uh, we had our first day yesterday, and, and it was mentioned to the players. We talked about important dates for the players, and the thirteenth of August was the first one we put up. It's an important one for us as a squad. Uh, because players will be involved along along that route. We're dropping into the five counties of Connaught um, and, and we're going to have some, some fan days there too. So it'll be a, a huge event for us. Um, but yeah, the boys are back. They're, they're ready to go and uh, we've got nine weeks before our first game. Right. Um, famously, after the first Ireland win against the All Blacks in Chicago, there was a picture of all the, the Connaught lads on the field. There was another one at the weekend. It's becoming... Um, fairly consistent that uh, a strong Connacht representation is a prerequisite when we do beat the All Blacks so um, I guess there's plenty plenty talk about that uh, amongst your squad like, how do you make sure that's, that the buzz around the players that are there representing Ireland at the weekend feeds into and serves as an inspiration for the squad who are training in the sports ground and, and doing the hard yards with I'm sure the very unpleasant pre-season 
Yeah, well, you know, we, we're a very we're a very tight squad, and uh, you know, with the five lads that are over there, as well as um, Pete Wilkins and Robbie Fox, who's one of our masseuses. You know, we got seven, a contingent of seven Connet uh, Connet men over there, um, and everyone's always you're in contact with 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 uh, with them whilst you're going. So there's a real buzz that's come out of that. Um, yeah, we've been on off season, but you're never off. Um, I will say that. So it's been nice to be able to. Every Saturday morning, get up and and uh, or Wednesday a few weeks ago today this morning now that with that Maori game that's on, get up and watch a bit of footy and, and watch some of your teammates and your colleagues actually uh, pulling on the green of Ireland and, and doing their best for them. So there is a real buzz around that, and I know uh, we're missing the game this morning because we actually talked about pausing training to watch it, but um, it's the second day of our preseason, so we want to just make sure we get things ticking on. We'll all be watching the game on Saturday, no doubt. Do you watch the game together? Uh, as a kind of contingent? No, we don't. But there's a lot of texting going on in between and that's for sure. And do you find yourself like getting uh, extra motivated and extra animated when it's uh, Bundy on the ball or, or one of the Connick boys? Yeah, you do. Like, you know, you, you, you take a real interest and a real care for those men. So when you see them involved, uh, it's fantastic. When Pete Wilkins gets up and speaks with 20 minutes to go in the games, that's been brilliant to watch as well. So, so, uh, listen. There's a, there's always your own. Uh, you, you wear the glasses of the of the province you work for. So, whenever our fellas are a touch in the footy, it's it's uh, the heart rate goes up a touch. Um, but you're also very proud of the fact that that Ireland done so well on the weekend. Kim Prendergast is is obviously playing there now. He's your young player of the year. He's got an extended deal with you guys. Can you talk to us a bit about his evolution? Because obviously, you know, he's he's being talked about as somebody who's a a, a potential successor to Peter Romani, which is massive praise, but it doesn't seem ridiculous. It seems like, yeah, everybody can kind of see it. Yeah, he's got a very bright bright future. I mean, he's, he's a good rugby player. Um, you need that. But but more importantly, you need to have the right attitude. And, and what Keane's got is the right attitude. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's very, very professional about it, the way he goes about his business. Um, he sets himself really... Uh, Stretch-worthy goals, I'll call them, but um, he's got you know strong goals there where he wants to get to. He know he knows where he wants to go, and and he's not afraid to ask questions or do the work. And you know that that that's what the best players do, um, from my experience. Uh, I've seen a lot of talented footballers, but if you haven't got the right attitude to go with it, um, they tend not to reach the dizzy heights. So um, for Keane, yeah, I think the world's his oyster at the moment. Brilliant that he's getting that experience over there, and uh, and he'll come back and. Uh, listen, we'll have to fight hard because we've got you know, some new additions to our squad this year as well with uh, with Josh Murphy coming in, with Seamus Hurley-Langdon coming in, Paul Boyle. It's looking great, come back from pre-season. Uh, Connor Oliver, um, Jared Butler, a couple of young academy fellows coming through as well. So it won't be a walk-up start for him, but that's what you want to, and that's why I'm really proud of the, the squad we've got together because everyone's going to have to be at their best if they want to wear that 1-15 jersey. What does that extra work ethic look like in a modern rugby dressing room what are you seeing from Keane Prendergast that suggests that he does have that ability to go the extra mile yeah it, it's it's the the attention to detail on the small things so um you know the way he'll pour over a, a video clip and and then come in and ask questions about that he wants to be challenged he wants to be coached uh, he's not afraid to be out there doing his extras um you, you, the, the the better players tend to be the ones that get in early and do their stuff you know, sometimes you can you can get tripped tripped up a little bit by you know having players that they want to be seen in there, but you know the blokes who want to be seen in there, and you know the blokes who are just in there because that's what they do, and that's that's what makes them them. And, and Keane's one of them. He's 
he doesn't he couldn't give two hoots whether we're watching out the window but uh, he's just doing his stuff because he knows it's going to make him better um and you get that vibe off him so listen he's he's uh he's very professional uh, he's very driven and and as i said before he's, he's got a very bright future we saw jack hardy um posting pictures from his hospital bed of um the the surgery when do you expect him back will he be ready for the start of the season yeah we hope so he's he's got another scan on that uh or an appointment on that on that wrist um, over the coming coming week, so we'll get a, a further update. But I think it's the best thing that Jack could have done. Um, the wrist wasn't right. Uh, it's, it's a long season. It's heading into a World Cup year as well. So, um, you know, from my side, Jack Cardi to me is one of the best best tens in the country. So, but he needs to be fit. So, in order to get him fit, he needed to get that wrist right. Um, we'll get him back to Connor as quickly as we can, and hopefully, that is for round one. He's spoken very eloquently about the difficulties in the aftermath of the last World Cup. Um, you know, the, the, the job that you have is really difficult because there's obviously, like, we're, we're watching it this morning and Mac Hansen has, has come from the far side of the world straight into the team and is now a key member of it. So you've got, you've got to manage everything when it comes to how people's international aspirations are uh, feeding into their day-to-day job with you guys is that like just an individual thing where you talk to the players individually about what's going on or do you try and set goals for everybody collectively that if we all improve if we win more games it's going to be harder and harder for the selectors to overlook you yeah i mean there's a there's a there's an individual element to it um and the individual element is dependent upon uh whether the players getting selected or not those that are getting selected whether it be for Connacht or for for Ireland tend to be the happy ones. Those that aren't, um, you know, it, it's tough for them because rejection and, and non-selection is not something they, they're used to. These young blokes have come through junior programs and school programs and, and underage programs where they've been, they've always been there. They've always been picked. So you've got to try and manage that at the same time. Um, uh, you know, th- th- they've got their own aspirations for not only Connacht, but for the, for, for the, for their country. So uh, it's, it's never ending. And, um, and it changes from week to week. Um, you know, someone can be on top of the world and everything's going well. All of a sudden you get an injury and now they're out and that injury takes them four weeks. But in that four weeks, someone else has come over and looked really good. And then we keep selecting them. And, you know, what was someone sitting on on top of the world, they're trying to climb their way back up the ladder and, and you've got to work with those young blokes. But that's part of being a pro footballer. It's part of life. Um, it's not always plain sailing. And um, I'll go back to the reason we started this call today. You, you know, we're talking about, um, Ross and Claire and, and their life was sailing along. They were a happy young family and, and just like that it changed. Um, but but there is there's always a there's always tomorrow, there's always a future and there's always hope if you if you're prepared to work hard for it. And uh, you know, and when you get people behind you like we do for our rugby players or like the community's going to for for both Ross and Claire and the family, the kids. Um, you do see that there is hope out there and it does push you on a little bit further and, and that's what it's all about. So, um, yeah, footy's a, a microcosm of life. Um, what we're seeing with, with um, the Care for Clare ride is is an extension of that and into the really important part of the community. It's very easy sometimes to lose that context in a professional sports environment where everything that everybody does in their day job builds towards the performance and the result of the weekend and it's pretty fair to say last season the results didn't go the way you w- would have wanted them to. Um, you know, I, you can't compare the difficulties that um, those guys are, are going through with the day job and yet at the same time you feel like you kind of have to represent them now as well. So I, I don't know if it... Like, we're all talking about meaning and purpose, particularly in a um, 
you know, work environment and like uh, post-COVID, everybody is searching for something that will give our lives and, and embellish them a little bit more with a, a sense of purpose. Uh, is, this, is this all part of Connacht finding even deeper purpose and, and deeper meaning? Yeah, I think it's, it, you know, it's it's probably, as you said there, post-COVID, everyone's reset. You hit the reset button and the things we used to do pre-COVID, you can look back, most of us look back on and say, geez, we were busy fools, weren't we? And 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 we have to have learned something out of COVID. But but I think as the world's starting to open up again too, you you know, the, the word's perspective and and uh, expectation um, uh, are two words. For me, you know, put, put things in perspective, um, not the expectation, I should say, acceptance and acceptance of what we've currently got. They're two really powerful words that I think have come out of out of COVID. And, and for us, um, where we get the opportunity like this for Claire and her family um, to care for Claire right now, there's been a few things that have happened there. There's been a raffle. There's been uh, a GoFundMe page. It's been enormously well supported for lots of reasons because people are looking for for, for the opportunity to support and and. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's the growth again in, in Connacht rugby. Um, uh, I mentioned at the front end there, our values are ambition, belief and community. Now, you can never you can never be over-ambitious, I don't believe. You've got to keep striving because the next, there's another opportunity for you. You've got to have enormous belief as to what you're about. And that comes through the rich history of, of Connacht rugby, 1886 and um, 1885, sorry, when, when, when the whole thing started. Um, and then this community thing is just going to grow and grow and grow. We've got a new facility coming here, which is going to add to the community. We've got clubs, 26 clubs out there through Connacht. We've got a playing group that want to play a, fo- a brand of footy that excites the community and, and inspires. So all of those things, to me, just continue to layer on the depth of, of what Connacht Rugby is all about and then gives us, as the participants in that, uh, a real joy to be able to go out there and do that. Did you always have that point of view, Andy? Like that idea that it is part of a wider context, what you were doing even as a player and in your early days as as a coach, or is that something that you had to learn over time? I, I, I probably learned it over time. I mean, I've never, I've never just been singularly focused on rugby, but certainly the longer you've been in the game, this is my, I'm about to start my 29th year of pro coach, and so there's been a lot of, a lot of water under that bridge. But um, yeah, and certainly as you go through life too, um, other other obstacles land in your way and you start to realise that, geez, we're pretty fortunate just to be able to coach footy and there's a lot more to life than footy. So, um, yeah, for me, it, it's definitely something that I've learnt. Um, I said I've never been just singly focused on rugby, but but the longer that I'm in the game now, the more that I do see the broader breadth of it and and, uh, and what it can offer, um, not only ourselves that work in it, but everyone else that, that either watches it, supports it, has some touch with it. Um, it's, it's a pretty powerful obstacle, actually. What would a successful season look like for you guys? I'm not asking for the, the you know the secrets of the changing room here to be revealed, but like, um, how 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 when you sit down and go, well, what will the end of the year I look back and go, yeah, that was a really good one. What's on that list for you? Yeah, well, we we, we haven't we haven't discussed that as a team just yet, but but I'll tell you because you know I don't think it changes. Our goal is is to always get in the Champions Cup. Now we're not in the Champions Cup this year, which is the first time in the last four years that we haven't been in the Champions Cup. At the same time, the fact that we're in the Challenge Cup, I believe, gives us a, a much stronger opportunity to do two things: to one, try and win a Challenge Cup. That would be brilliant. 
Um, I think the last three years has proven to ourselves that we do belong in the Champions Cup. And now we're not in it this year. So if we honestly think we belong there and we, we think we should be getting into finals, knockout stage as well, we've got to set the stool out there that we want to go and win the Challenge Cup. So that's going to be a, that would be a massive achievement for us, but I don't think it's beyond our reach. And the second thing is we want to get back in the Champions Cup. So you've got to finish in the top, top half of the, of the URC. That's our bread and butter. Um, that's where we want to get to. So for us to be able to achieve those two things, get in the knockout stages of, of Challenge Cup, get back into the Champions Cup, we would have had a very successful season. Obviously, the, um, the league has become much more difficult with the arrival of the best franchises from South Africa as well. So that challenge, you know, in previous years, you might have looked at it and gone, OK, I can see how we're going to get this number of wins and this number of points. Uh, that has definitely changed the dynamic. What, what's that been like in terms of preparation and just the challenge that that, that poses? Yeah, I mean, you know, four new rugby teams that all play a slightly different style. And now you've also got, um, you know, the travel of, of, of going across there and having two weeks over there. Um, which which we'd had with with the Cheetahs and the Kings, but slightly different. They're better rugby teams, um, and, and other rugby teams are now getting stronger too. Like you look at some of the the signings that have gone on at the Scarlets this year, and and, uh, and Benetton, for example. Like everyone's getting stronger. So uh, yeah, but I'm excited. At the same time, we've we've got a, a second year of a program where uh, we've got a. We're, as you know, last year we had a new coach instruction. We got that rolling around again. We just had our first day yesterday. I can tell you the difference between our first day yesterday and our first day last year when we had our new key principles that we, we that, you know, we, that were introduced last year, chalk and cheese. So we just had a meeting there this morning as a group of coaches and we're all pretty buoyed by the fact that we're a long way further than we were this time last year. We've got a new rugby field coming this year at um, at the sports ground, so that's going to assist us in playing the style of rugby we want to play. So, um, yeah, it, as we also know, like life does keep changing. Um, new rugby teams have entered. The competition's getting stronger, but at the same time, I think we're getting stronger, and I think you know we're, we're continuing to build and learn to adapt to, to the brand of footy that we want to play, and um, I'm really happy with the squad we've got as well. So I'm excited by the year ahead. Are the key principles the same as this time last year or have they changed a little bit? No, they stay the same. And I reckon that's that's the key to key principles. Yeah, you gotta you can't keep chopping and changing. You've got to set your stall out and that's what you believe in and, and that's what we do believe in. So we'll roll that on again. We'll 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 have additions to it. So we'll we'll layer on again. It won't just be rolling out the same menu that we did last year, but uh, certainly the foundations that we put in place last year will put us in really good stead for this year Well listen we wish you the very best of luck with the season and if anybody does want to help and, and get involved and um, like, uh, is the cycle open to public participants or is it just you guys who are doing it and, and having the days along the way what's the best way for people because I think you know you're right people do want to help yeah, listen, there will be, um, there'll, there'll be a lot more information coming out about the cycle. What we're going to have, it's because it's, it's such a long cycle. Um, we've, we've targeted a cyclist from each club to come and try and join us. Um, so it'll be, there'll be about 20 cyclists on the trip and that's it. I think as we get to the last 16 kilometers into Sligo, anyone can join us from that stage. So the more the merrier there, but along the way, we're going to have, a, I think it's at least four stopovers where people can come and join us. Um, we'll have players there. We'll have the cycling group will come in there. Um, there'll be chance for photos and and and, uh, and some ball games and all the rest of it. Um, so it, listen, as as we get closer to it, so it's uh, it's not too far away now, but um, 13th of, of August. But as we get closer to it, some more information will come out about that and, and we should be able to get a lot of people involved with it. Well, listen, Andy, we wish you the very best of luck with it. Thanks for joining us today. Cheers. Good on you, mate. Thank you for that.
It's uh, Andy Friend there, the Connor coach. Ireland lead the Mario All Blacks 10-5. We obviously jinxed Keane Prendergast by talking about him right there because he's in the bin at the moment. But um, uh, notwithstanding that, Ireland are camped on the Mary All Blacks try line and the referee is under a pile of bodies looking to see if there's been grounding. They never give those out. Uh, and he is saying we're short or held up short and so therefore it's going to be our scrum. Well, we obviously don't have the commentary there, but there's six and a half minutes left of Ireland in the bin, 29 minutes on the clock, and he's gone back for an earlier penalty. Ireland look really good. Certainly better than the last Maori game, it turns out, and conditions, if I remember correctly, aren't overly different. It was challenging enough the first day as well, skills under a bit of pressure, but Ireland looking a lot better, it seems, this time around. It'll be interesting to see how they go in the second half. Kieran Frawley's obviously kicked... uh, a penalty there just a while ago nailed the conversion was straightforward for the for the try but he's he's been pretty good from the boot like this is this is a really I think that looks like a try mm, it should have been yeah but uh, the um, TV director was not willing to show that one until no. the next play happened and uh, hey <laughs> I think you know we're learning a lot about what it's like to play in New Zealand we knew already but you just forget because it only happens every three or four years you're like oh we actually need to beat everybody in the stadium yeah including whatever anyway a reminder that Connacht Rugby obviously are organising that special provincial wide charity cycle on Saturday the 13th of August in aid of Sligo native Claire Carpenter you can support the event on social using the hashtag care for Claire now as we know it's Ireland hurling final week we'll be uh, building up proper from tomorrow uh, there's another penalty for Ireland looks like there's going to be should be a yellow card here for the All Blacks Um 2022 marks the sixth year of Borgosh Energy sponsorship of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championship and we have four priceless tickets to give away on the show this week with thanks to Borgosh Energy. Every day we're giving away €150 Euro one for all voucher. More importantly, each winner, each daily winner goes into Friday's draw for an incredible grand prize of a €1,500 Euro one for all voucher and four tickets to Sunday's All-Ireland Final between Limerick and Kilkenny. To enter, tune in to tonight's show. It's all thanks to Borkosh Energy. You can search the hashtag Gift of the Gab for more. Now, time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean, a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not. Yes. No. Right, the, um, there's, lo- there's loads of good stuff in the sports pages today, actually. Uh, so, um, Kieran Shannon, there is a yellow card there for the Mary All Blacks. So, 14 men apiece. Uh, Ireland camped on the Mary All Black line and going well. Uh, Kieran Shannon, Kerry versus Dublin shouldn't mask football's room for improvement. How Andy Farrell is spreading Ireland's leadership load. So, uh, it's one of those weeks where everybody's like, oh, there's lots of interesting stuff here because uh, the um, sport is going well. Uh, Collins sets a new record. Dubliner to become the most expensive Irish player ever with 20 million move to Wolves. So this is Nathan Collins. Looks like the deal to Wolves is very close to being completed for 20.5 million, uh, which obviously breaks the Robbie Keane record. Ronaldo has not told me he wants to leave, says Ten Hag. The Ten Hag thing is just playing it out, right? Ronaldo's he's going, Right. It doesn't seem like it. it's a situation where Ten Hag is confident he's going to stay. But I would also kind of agree with what Daniel said earlier on. You've got to have the right suitor for him. And it looks like there's only a very small coterie of clubs who could afford him that are going to be playing Champions League football. Like It, it is Chelsea or Bayern Munich, really, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Barcelona. Barcelona are not going to... Milan. Well, if they don't get Lewandowski. I mean, we want money. What do you mean, what money? The money doesn't matter. Yeah, but like, I mean... The, the, uh, does How are they Cri- Lewandowski? Does Cristiano Ronaldo not look at the Frankie de Jong situation and say his wages have been deferred for so long, I'm not going to a club that's going to defer my wages? Try for Ireland. Uh, 15-5 they lead. 
uh, Nick Timoney with the try and uh, we're doing really well there uh, Ten Hag Ronaldo will stay but uh, that's what you say isn't it you say he's staying and then it's like ha 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 no like I do think you need to give a positive sign because there is a chance that he stays and you don't want to be the guy who's saying he's going to leave and we don't need him whatever we're going to be fine without him and then he's actually part of your squad next season so you absolutely do have to give the positive message but like I don't think there's been much of any contact between them certainly no face-to-face meetings between Ten Hag and Ronaldo and obviously not involved in the training sessions at the moment Ten Hag strikes me as the type of guy who would like to have his squad in order early in pre-season like now already yesterday he wanted all his business done I know there are a lot of factors out of Manchester United's control but this is not an ideal summer I do think that in 12 months' time we'll be talking about Manchester United's rebuilds as, you know, okay, now it's getting places and, and you can look forward to next season. Unless Ten Hag really is an absolutely wonderful manager and his three predecessors are all absolutely disgraceful. And those that dressing room is actually a lot better than they performed it's over possible. the last years. It's possible that some of those players are really good, high-quality international footballers who have not been trying leg and now they're going to try a leg. The, right? it's, it's not outlandish to, to think that, but the evidence would also suggest that it's, it's not strong enough, uh, the squad itself. And what they've done so far in the transfer window is not going to make them strong enough next season, you would think. But then again, there is that, that possibility that Ten Hag is a genius. Uh, at its best, Gaelic football is a glory. This is Kevin McStay's piece. And there's a, another picture of Sean O'Shea booting the ball. You read this? Yeah, yeah, good column. Uh, like, it, it, it's... Um, Seems a lot of people kind of lauding the game and kind of like just basking in the afterglow. He thinks Shawnee should have been booked at least for the, the the boot to the face. Yeah, and then he got a yellow card in the second half, which would have meant he wouldn't have been on the pitch. Well, he might not have got the yellow card if he's already booked. You have to yeah. assume that he won't do the thing, right? He, well, that's it. I, like he mitigates the, his. Clifford gets an early booking and then he pulls out of a couple of tackles as the game goes on because he was early booking. That was like you know that that could easily have been a red. That was high. Ah no, it was a, it was it was an absolute stereotypical clothesline. It was a stereotypical yellow card. Like it's, 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 it's true, we haven't got to the point yet where uh, head and neck injuries in, in gated games is still is meriting a, a red. No, it's but it's like you you, will, you, you go I, yeah presumably well certainly we got to the point where shoulder to head is red. Kind of the, the, the lazy arm. Uh, which is kind of left behind and your man kind of runs through it that is that is a yellow card uh, yeah okay um, Paddy Deegan is in all the papers he was obviously put forward for the the um, print media uh, he was one of eight players who were in the Kilkenny squad defeated by Westmeath under 21s remember this was like mm. a big scandal but like it, it turned out um, I'm going to go potentially butcher this but was JJ Delaney on one of those under 21 teams that didn't win in All-Ireland as well that sometimes and um uh, James O'Donoghue was saying sometimes it's not great being a 17 year old walking around thinking you are God's gift when you've just won a minor All-Ireland so yeah he was talking uh, about the, the awfully minors wasn't he and yeah, the heartbreaking I, defeat that it might actually be good for them in the long run yeah. O'Donoghue obviously speaking from a, a, a team that was absolutely terrible at under 21 level got hockey by, by Cork as well so that is interesting what, what I can't get over is just the, the volume of them well, what it usually is is a, a case where it's like one player came through the team that got hockeyed by Westmead not by uh, Drew Westmead or whatever it was and uh, it's, it's a miracle that they did that I think it's like 8 in the squad so it's it's remarkable that the, there's that volume of players that have actually come from that one team into into this current team. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, Ron for keeps Ten Hag warns United Aces going nowhere, and Roy's got a canny plan. Roy McIlroy has warned the old course at St Andrews is vulnerable to a birdie barrage from the world's top players. So uh, McIlroy's 
last week he was saying yeah, maybe we all need to sit down with Live Golf and now he's like there's no place for Live Golf if they would just go away I'd be happy so he's um, he's unleashing hell and using his platform uh, and then PGA faces probe into Rebels ban so the US Department of Justice is not quite convinced that they've actually allowed to say you can't play golf because you're playing for these other people anti-American anti-competitive yeah well I mean you could uh, I suppose their argument would be that Live Golf is anti-American right uh, no that's um, Live Golf is rich that's the American dream right there capitalistic that's the, the big the big paradox we have in sport at the moment uh, Green and Gold Ireland hero Collins set for 24 million move to Wolves um, Chiefs must box clever Irish boxing chiefs have been given two months to come up with a governance plan in the wake of the massive vote against change from clubs so boxing seems to be uh, just ungovernable uh, blue is the colour. Lewandowski to Chelsea. Chelsea join race for Lewandowski as Barca struggled to stump up 42 million. Um, would he would he work better? Might work better, would he? Well, like it, it does seem that uh, Chelsea is an absolute gift for gossip columns, isn't it? Because Todd Bailey, Todd Bowley, uh, obviously looks like the, the sort of guy who would buy anybody and would happily buy anybody. So you can just safely report if a footballer is good and famous... Chelsea's owner would like to sign them so it's probably all accurate reporting Would would he work with the Chelsea team the way it is? I think so but then again we said the same thing about them you know needing a number 9 in uh, last season and they get Lukaku uh, now Lukaku obviously there's probably a, a Where's Sterling going to play? Sterling's going to play on the left Is he? You, just, you think he could play through the middle? I don't know Maybe I think um, I think they would like Sterling to become what uh, Hazard was for Chelsea before he left for Real Madrid. Like it, it's it's just really interesting the the amount of different options that they have in those attacking positions and who's going to play who's going to be your your centre forward. Maybe they just develop into a sort of Pep esque team of last season where they, they don't they don't have that centre forward and that that'll be an interesting storyline in the coming season as well as it's how Haaland fits into the, the Pep Guardiola philosophy because he seems to have been pretty happy. They didn't have an out-and-out striker in uh, Aguero's dying days and, and after he he departed. Um, Colin Keyes has done his best free to the last 40 years. Oh, yeah? Uh, Sean O'Shea, obviously. Cluxton against mm-hmm. Kerry in the 2011 All-Ireland Final. He's got Ross Carr from the 1991 semi-final from 55 yards. Wow. Um, that's down versus Derry. Obviously, they go on to win the All-Ireland. That gets a, a replay. Um and that's the, them on the route to their first All-Ireland in 23 years. Rain O'Neill, which, do we forget about Rain O'Neill now? Like, that was... Is it, Unbelievable. Yeah. Is it... Um, which was more distant? I don't know. Obviously, Rain O'Neill's was at a, a different angle. Uh, I, I think Sean O'Shea's was further out the pitch, but maybe with the angle, Rain O'Neill's could have been just as far, if not further. And into the canal end. The thing with O'Neill's as well is that, obviously, they, they lose the game on the day. Like, at least if you win the game on the day and you lose it at a later point in the season... It's kind of remembered as a, yeah. as a joyous moment, and yeah. I do think that being part of a losing effort, your score gets less memorable. Are you freaked out at all by the Team of Destiny, Galway coming through a penalty shootout? Galway first team to win All Ireland through the back door. Galway first team to win All Ireland having come through a penalty shootout. No, I'm not freaked, freaked out. out by that. You don't need to be freaked out are by you Galway. You just, you just need to watch them uh, last week and say that they are a team that, that was very, Derry. very capable of winning the All Ireland. Derry kicked a lot of bad wides. They did, but I'm I'm just really impressed with how. Galway set up and kind of managed to just not rope it up Derry but it looked like Derry's Derry had the game in their own terms until all of a sudden they didn't and when they didn't they got 
pulled asunder by a team that I think we've myself included have written off quite a lot all season I didn't, I didn't see Galway making it to the All-Ireland final at the start of the year no. but they're there now and they've beaten some really good teams on the way to, to get there and they've got a hell of a chance on Sunday week Halftime Ireland leading by 17 points to 5 and it's been an excellent performance against the Mary All Blacks this morning um, conceded an early try but have largely controlled the game ever since so uh, the other ones Dean Rock versus Mayo GPS Rob Henley Mayo versus Dublin, the retake. Um, there's a Derek Duggan free from 1991, which is about 60 yards as well. Which oh, 91, clearly the year for freeze. On the ground. Peter Canavan, the, the Muggsy Canavan chat. Oh, yeah. Muggsy laughing. It's against Kerry. Yeah. Sorry, it's against Armagh. 05. Yeah. yeah. Um, the tightness of the angle. The fact that it's to win the game. Mm. Yeah, the fact that they win the All-Ireland. It's right there. So that's in the Ulster, one of the Ulster games, right? I think it's a semi-final. Semi-final, sorry, yeah, they meet each other again later on. Um, yeah, that's that's got to be up there. I think they played three times that year. They did, yeah, cause, and then Crow Park. The three times. Uh, yeah. So the first game was a draw, the replay, Armagh win, which is the Ulster title. Yeah, and then Tyrone get him back Tyrone, in the semi-final. Tyrone win the match that matters. Yeah. Oof. And he, he, that's the free to do it. And they were the two best teams in the country at that stage, we all know that. How did they get on the final there that year, 2005? What happened? Well, it was good that they did manage to pick up a couple of All Irelands, like in second place in the role of honour of the 2000s. Three, it's nice for three them. All Irelands, big big carry every year, did they? A three, and I mean, it right. would have been nice they got the four. Did a ba- doing a back to back would have been class. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then there's there's a couple of other ones. Brian Stafford, 91 again. Donny Shine from Ross um, Common Sligo. Is that the minor game or is that uh, no? And then Larry Tompkins has one too. So you can you can read that list yourself. But look, anyway, uh, there we go. Um, Kieran Frawley's playing so well; he's going to be taken off at halftime in order to be on the bench for Saturday. I mean, I don't know. Do it? No, can't do that. Right, that's the papers. There are so many idiots out there. So many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not. No. Right, it's 8.50. Lee Keegan is with us. Lee, good morning to you. How are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, good. Um, I, I mentioned the GPS uh, free there. You must have been very, very impressed by what um, Comerford was doing at the weekend. It was shithousery on a level that we hadn't seen since you threw that GPS. Yeah, he was involved in a couple of incidents over the weekend. So he was he was setting a different trend from back in seventeen. Um, so fair play to him. I, well, like here's the thing, right? Um, everybody afterwards was saying, "Oh, it was it was played in a great spirit." But I think if Dublin had won that match, there'd be a much bigger focus from particularly my Kerry friends here uh, on the the ten minutes in the sim bin where actually the ball was in play for about a minute and a half. It felt like, mm. <laughs> yeah, def- definitely, and, and the penalty. The, the goal or camera doesn't help Comerford in any way or shape the fact that we've all seen it after the game so uh, do you know what it's part of the game though um, all the top teams do it Jared, to be honest it's it's not nice but I mean in the context of that game I suppose Dublin were probably hanging on at that stage and it was early in the game but I, I felt like the penalty was nearly like a wake up call for them and you know probably fair dues to Comerford not, not obviously the right thing to be at in terms of the context of sport and what it's about but I mean, it, it killed time for Dublin to get, get themselves kind of reassessed and, and as a result, they kind of grew into the game and they kind of died with their roots on, to be honest. Um, it just seemed to ignite them uh, after that penalty miss, to be honest. And, and it felt like the penalty went in from Shaw and actually the game felt over at that stage. Mm. Um, I, I, I just didn't see a way back um, because the momentum was with Kerry. 
but Comfort definitely played. <laughs> he played plenty of time on the ground there. Yeah, and like, and then there's the the melee, the minor melee afterwards, where like it, it it just felt like he was operating at a level where he knew exactly what he needed to do for his team. Which, to be honest, in the last five minutes of the game, it seemed to desert Dublin a little bit. Like when when they kicked the equaliser, I expected them to do pretty much what they did to you guys, which was like wrestle everybody to the ground to make sure that there's nothing here except maybe the goalkeeper has to go long again. And well, but I, like it's pretty obvious why they didn't do that because Dublin felt they could get that kick out and they felt they could go and win yeah. the game from there. If there were a point up, they would have done that. But they didn't do a good job of trying to get it back. Or did Kerry just do a good job of getting it out? Maybe well, they, like, say both. Yeah, I, I'm interested in what you think in that league because it, it, it felt like not that they switched off, but that they didn't they didn't manage that last minute and a half of the game as well as you might have expected them to. No, and that's probably been something that's not a, been associated with them over the previous year, especially during the time we played them in regular games, that Dublin's kind of game management, that was their their biggest asset they had, uh, and especially against the top teams, in particular against ourselves in, in finals and semis, that just knew how to run in that clock. And I suppose if that incident happened maybe four or five years ago, we wouldn't be discussing about Dublin not stopping that, Dublin wouldn't stop that, and the game would have been over nearly. But it just feels like... Since kind of the the old guard have left Dublin and the new guard have come in, it, it, they don't seem to kind of recognise that. Um, albeit the still of Jim McCarthy, Karen Kenny, Brian Fenton, who've been part of those teams, but the newer generation probably are, are not as clued into what the older guys did before in terms of game management, killing the game, and probably even if you compare Dublin from previous years to even this year, like their their, their shots, they took their shot conversion was very low. I say, and even some of the turnovers um, that you wouldn't associate Dublin with. And that's kind of the difference probably from the dumb greats to the dumb team now. And listen, just all things aside, I suppose you have to still give credit to Dublin. I mean, that game could have slipped away easily and they could have just, you know, let that game run out. But it's just a sign of a great team. And you look at the likes of James McCarthy in particular and Kieran Kelly, like Kelly, sorry. You just couldn't ask for any more of those guys. I mean, they've done it all with the game. They've won everything. Um, it could have been just an easy thing for them to say, you know what, like, the game is over. But the boys stuck to their they stuck to their guns and they put in one of the best shifts I've seen in a long time in a double forwards. The, the second half of that game on Sunday was was mad and the game lost all shape Kerry lost complete uh, structure if, if they had one in that second half like the closest kind of thing I can remember is, is your final against the Dubs in 17 maybe after you scored that goal into the hill just a place absolutely hopping you just don't know what's going to happen next mm. what, what is it like in that moment Lee when you realise that the whole game has fallen to, to pieces and that there is no structure to it anymore I think to be honest, Colin Boyle texted me actually just for the game. He said this game is going to be absolute madness, carnage. And I suppose the first half always takes a bit of shape and context, but the second half, I don't know, you just you couldn't write it to be honest because there was bodies everywhere. Like Kerry, I never seen so many boys go down with cramp or injuries, and there's I don't know who was marking who, and it was just madness altogether. And I think that's the thing with these big games, especially in the semi final, and we we ourselves know it particularly more than most is that sometimes it's, it's within the madness sometimes is, is where games are won uh, and to fair it probably will be a good thing for Kerry that it happened now uh, rather than the final I think because now they've got that other system that madness that whole carnage around the Dublin beating Dublin for, for so long so I think that's that's a huge positive for them but a game like that just takes on a life of its own it really does I mean in the in the mix of Co Park in the semi-final and there's 20 minutes go and you just, yeah, you, to be honest, you don't know what's going to happen. And I'd say it's the same playing out there as well. Sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, if you bank a gym and carry everything in that point with, with 10 to go, I mean, that 
that was just absolutely crazy mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I mean, that was outrageous game. Like, I mean, take on that shot as well. And I never seen Cleaner strike. And that just, that added to the more carnage game because once he got that, like, momentum had shifted completely back to Dublin. And, like, you would have probably, I would have backed Dublin all day to win that game from, from that point onwards. So, I mean, you have to give credit to him, but then, yeah, listen, carry on the game. And, and that, that's, that's what it's all about. Semifinals were there for one. And I think Jack O'Connor made a very good point there after the game. He goes, we're going to the final. No one's going to remember the semifinal if we don't want and, and be going to the final. So I think that's the biggest key factor for Kerry now is how quickly can they get back and uh, get back training, get back into their own bubble and listen, take the negatives, take the positives from, from Sunday because there's loads of them. There is really, they're, they're hanging on towards the end. Uh, it probably should never got to the point where it came down to the last minute free. If, if Kerry were really on song for that game, they could they could have, have walked that game at times. But because they let Dublin get back into it and let Dublin dictate what they want to do, I think that's going to be a big focus now for Kerry going into the goal game too. So. so the last three times Dublin have been beaten in the championship, the team that beat them went on to lose the final obviously yourselves in two occasions and in the middle Donegal in 2014 off that high they get they get done in the final even just from, from last year Lee because I guess beating Dublin was just such a huge moment for, for everybody in the country to see them beaten is that a, a real thing going into the final trying to come off that and I think was it was it a two week gap as well last year like I feel, I feel it was the same gap, or maybe a little bit longer. But I think, I think we had three last year. Oh, yeah, and it was okay. based based on Tyrone and at the game. And, sorry, Tyrone Kerry took a extra oh yeah, yeah, COVID and bits and pieces like that. So, uh, but it's it, it's it's a weird one because we like we 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 got grounded pretty quick after the Dublin game. To be honest, like it wasn't a big thing of a celebration. I think we had a couple of quiet drinks that night together as a group, and we were back kind of training on the Tuesday. So it was very much sole focus on. Like I suppose we didn't know at that stage. The following week was kind of just we, we get get recovery and get back to get back to our training facility and stuff like that. But once Tyrone came around, there was no more talk about Dublin. To, to be very honest, um, I think there was more talk probably media wise than, than there was in our group. And once we knew it was Tyrone, that, it, that was the focus. To be totally honest with you, but obviously, it, it, listen, beat Dublin championship in a big game is huge for for any team. But I suppose from my own experience, and even particularly last year, and it was kind of fresh still. It was Tyrone. That's all we focus on. Didn't matter. Like we're talking about Dublin and Tyrone, two two totally different teams. How they set up, how they play, different matchups. And um, so for us, it was just trying to get into that mindset of we're going to play a really tough Ulster team, and, and unfortunately, we just didn't do enough to do that. So I mean, Kerry might might learn from that from last year ourselves, but I, I don't know what the learning is because mm. I just think we just have beat my other team on the day. To be totally honest. Um, so, but I, I do think there's something a bit different with this Kerry team. They're on they're on the road since eighteen now. I think. Or the, a lot of people talk about you know the young ones there, but like you gotta realize, Tinford and O'Shea, these boys are five years into their senior chapter career, or senior career. Like so, I mean, I think they're the, probably that's a huge step in zone that the last against Sunday to beat Dublin. Um, but I think the biggest thing for Kerry now is how quickly can they get grounded. I think with someone like Jack Connor um, taking over them, I think he'll get 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 the best out of this week. Now, I mean, there's not going to be much to be done for the final. Like this week is going to be recovery, get the injuries sorted. Let you do a couple of days analysis, and, and that's really it. So I mean, Jack Jack's a smart man. I mean, he knows the game better than most. So he'll have Kerry Prime for two weeks time, and it won't be a concern. I don't think this double game. Uh, Gavin White looked like he was injured. Doesn't look good. Yeah, doesn't look good. Yeah. yeah. Um, do they have enough strength and depth? Are they are they strong enough in the half back line to be able to create? Like they might need to do against a Galway team who, I, from the semi final and from what they've done, will probably be very happy to sit in with lots of bodies, certainly in that first 15, 20, 25, 35 minutes. I suppose, like, a lot of talk on Kerry is the probably attacking kind of bench options. I, I think it's a probably, a, like, Gavin White's a huge loss. I mean, 
Now, I thought he probably he probably was in there the game the last bit, I suppose, in the goal and going for himself and then the penalty miss. He, he didn't probably have, <clears throat> me, have one of his better, game, better games. But in terms of, I mean, his leadership for Kerry, I think he's going to be a huge loss. Uh, and the reason he will be as well is that he's one of the probably young guys I can see run as quick as the likes of Jack McCaffrey or, or Shane Welsh. So to break that line, especially with goal to set up, I think that's going to be a huge loss for Kerry. And, and how to replace that, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I don't think it'll matter from a defensive context point of view because, as you said, goal is set up with massive numbers behind the ball. So I, I don't think that's going to hinder it defensively. But I think more from an attacking platform from deep, Gavin White brings so much um, positivity to the carry attack from, from deep. And even if he makes a run, he might get the ball, but he creates space for like the Clifford, Stu Clifford, Shawty, um, Stephen O'Brien. So, I mean, he's going to be a huge loss. Um, but that's probably the biggest thing, just looking at the, the goal again the last day was... Like Gawler are very happy to stick to that play game plan for the full 70, 70 minutes. They might tweak a little bit with Kerry, um, might go a bit more at them, but they're very comfortable dropping big numbers back and leaving one or two up top. So I think, you know, based on what Kerry was saying last day, they, they, they should set up right for that. But it's going to be a hard game to call, to be honest. Um, I kind of listened to their own. Gawler kind of, no one probably tipped Gawler to be the star, but they'll see this as a one off game. All the talk about Kerry now going into two weeks' time. So I mean, poor choice again has been there. He knows, he knows the routine. So, um, He'll have them prime now for two weeks' time, regardless of Gavin White's player or not, to be honest, which he probably won't be. Do you think they've got better since the kind of championship championship game that you lost to them? Uh, it's, it's, it's very hard to know because, like, if you take goal in the first half against Derry, I, I honestly feel that that was Dublin or Kerry last day, that game would even got past half time. Um, so that's probably the biggest worry for Galway. Um, they look very nervy in that first half, to be honest. Um, and to be honest, once they got ahead, Derry, I did feel I did feel Galway were going to win the last against Derry. I did. I really did. I just think they have too much flair up top, uh, too much quality, like Shane Welch, Comer, um, <clears throat> Killian McGlade, and these boys. I just think they, they have a better better attack than you. So I, I I was worried after ten minutes. I thought, you know, look at Derry if they get ahead at all, they're very good at killing the game. But to end Galway when they came out after halftime, I, I do think that forty five was huge for Galway going into halftime because they played so poorly. And the fact that was a big momentum changer, even for Shane Welsh, didn't, like he, he was out of the game completely in the first half. And he, like fair, you and Kluski did a fantastic job and throughout the game. But even Welsh's demeanour coming out after half time was totally different. Took those three frees, looked like a new man. So uh, I think they have probably have, like, I mean, you can't write off goal anyway because they've beaten two really top quality Ulster teams. So I mean, that's not easy done. Um, and they're fully unmerited in all their fight because they've beaten good Armagh team who were hotly tipped to be Galway. And they beat the Derry team who were right really high after a big win against Kerr and, and they're also campaigning. So Gaul will be full of confidence to be honest with this game. And and they seem to have a clean bit of health as well going into it. And a lot of their big guys are playing good football. Uh Damien Comer's hit the right notes at the right time. He's gonna take a lot of mind in. Um, Shane Welch can definitely improve more, which I think he is going for the final. Um Rob Prindy was quite the last day, a guy I identified as a big guy for them, but he he left to step up for the final. So I think like Gaul will be really excited for this game. Like I'd say and the extra 24 hours watching the Dublin Kerry game they have they have a lot going into that final so I mean they're not going to fear um, and as I said when you beat two good other sides I mean you should be full confident as well Is there anything in that second half that Kerry can point to as an explainer for what happened from a game that they had largely control of particularly in the second quarter the first half that they can fix in advance of an All-Ireland final or do they just have to accept that at some point Galway are going to have a purple patch and just ride it out hope they don't score enough and we try and outscore them yeah, I think if it gets into a game like that, I just think Kerry are too good. Um, so if you're going to shoot out, like, I mean, you can't leave Clifford and Charlie and these boys and, and help them face and go to a shootout. So, go, absolutely, go on, we're going to get per patch in this game. It's just, 
how good Kerry and we've seen how good Kerry are defensively I mean conceding 113 last is not bad to be honest 14 scores if, it's, if you're going to see that you're going to win most games anyway and with Kerry's attacking unit they're going to score more than 14 scores anyway so I mean that's that, that would be a positive my biggest concern about Kerry is the, the structure uh, as Owen mentioned earlier like it, it got to pandemonium stages in the second half and probably haven't associated that carry up to that game now they've been very structured very solid and kept very rigid to their game plan so and my other probably worry a bit for Kerry was the, the amount of energy they expanded in that first half to try and take on Dublin and I, I really think it impacted them in the second half um, it could have been the heat I, I don't know um, but the, a lot of their guys were dead in their feet halfway through that second half um, and again Galway identified that and the way their running game is going at the moment that that could be a huge area concern for Jack going into the final so I mean a lot of guys expanded huge amount of energy and even the likes of Clifford and Sean Shea who had massive first halves without the game second half completely so Galway see that again as a huge positive for themselves to take out so if they can negate those two lads in the second half albeit Paddy Clifford came really good in the second half I think that's it's a huge focus for Kerry going in but it will also be a big focus for Galway can and they run the legs of these boys in the second half after what they've seen against Dublin. Now it's going to take a massive effort, don't get me wrong. The Dublin Kerry game was high intensity, um, took a lot of effort, but I mean, it's probably a concern for Jack that how many lads lost structure, but also how many guys went down and were cramped and fatigued early enough in the game. Yeah, definitely. Like the, the one thing is that in, in the middle of all that pandemonium, as you say, Kerry were still really good defensively like some of the turnovers were, were really impressive like the, the Costello goal was before the pandemonium set in like they didn't crumble at the back it was yeah. just they were just so disjointed in attack yeah and that's something I suppose probably even we identified with Kerry over the years up to now was if you can get a bit ahead of Kerry at all and even that goal and Jim Carthy's point about earlier I, I would have seen that as a huge plus for, for the team attacking Kerry because we've seen Kerry in the, the year before even against Tyrone Lasser that come down that stretch and you're, you're still within the game you'd feel pretty confident you're going to take these points or I feel this year even ourselves in the third quarter we got to a point we, what killed us was probably the, the few wides and the drop short balls but even looking at carry they never really panicked they tagged on the next four or five scores after that and, and they just looked pretty comfortable so it, even defensively it was, it was always probably one of our big game plans is take these boys on now they look really really solid and, and that's huge credit to Paddy Talley and the way he's been set up but they look they actually look really confident as defenders now at the moment because they're working hard for each other so I think where it's man on man they're, they're, they're actually trusting that system so one guy gets beat there's another guy backing them up so I think that's that's huge um, confidence and huge um, applause that's supposed to like Paddy Talley that he's done that job at the moment. that's a huge transformation from last year what they can see the goals compared to now I think it's something like seven last year and they've only conceded one in the this year so that's things violence with their, their offensive plan already so yeah so I mean it's going to make for, for good reading in two weeks can, yeah. uh, can, can the goal attack take that on uh, look it'll be very interesting to see one last thing right um, Hawkeye I don't know do, do we feel confident that they switch it back on for the hurling this week and it goes fine that that's it and we're back or is it just like Look, well, let's let's take the off season to see what's going on and make sure that um, the pointy-headed boffins at the company come back and prove that it's accurate. Someone, someone said in the video last day, it's or Hawkeye is like human, makes more mistakes than anything else. So I mean, it's, it's it doesn't really give you much confidence that that's coming out. Uh, and to be honest, it, I, I just to be honest, it's, it's crazy. Like this day and age that we don't have technology at an elite sports level that can be trusted. Um, I mean, it's a very simple concept. If the ball goes over the bar it gives a score like I mean I think Conor Glass had won suppose he went over the bar as well and Hawkeye give it off and it looked good for our angle in the studio last day like, so I mean it, it doesn't bode well for, for our games and, and it looked messy even at half time all the officials are talking about this and, and even for ourselves is all we talked about half time we weren't talking about the game right? it was all Hawkeye so 
it's taken away from, from the games and the spectacle that albeit the spectacle wasn't so good in the first half of the Derry Gola game, but still it, it, it shouldn't be that hot topic conversation that we're talking about Hawkeye again. I mean it's it's come up a few times over the last few years. It's it's gonna be have to look at. So if I were the hurling bosses going into the game, I, I wouldn't have a lot of faith in it to be honest. If they couldn't if they couldn't uh give a score for a bigger ball, how they're gonna handle a smaller ball, um, that would be my worry. So it's a bit mad. Um, I don't trust like what well, Sean O'Shea's point last day had drifted a bit over the post and we know how okay, what was going to happen in that case. Do you know? So these are the big questions we're going to have to ask. Uh, is, is it fit for purpose? I'm not sure at the moment that they're going to have to review that in depth because it's it's not really good enough in this day and age that we can't trust a system that's meant to help our sports and help dictate games. Yeah, 100%. Lee, great stuff. Thanks for joining us this morning. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Take care. It's uh Always interesting stuff from Lee Keegan there this morning at nine minutes past nine. Uh, Ireland have kicked another penalty. Uh, Karen Frawley definitely doing his future prospects no harm here. I mean, he's been the winner of this tour so far. Uh, he is Ireland are on twenty points. The Mario Blacks are on five. The referee's gone for something here, so maybe there's going to be another card. It's Forty-five minutes gone, but Ireland put in an excellent performance so far. You wouldn't say it's game over at all. There's definitely been plenty of opportunities for the Mary All Blacks, but they've been knocking balls on. Um, when oh, there's a it's going to be a, a yellow card for Larmer tackling without the ball. It could could it be a penalty try. Be interesting to see if they give it. Hmm. I mean, you know, they tend not to give these in New Zealand. Um, so Larmer has tackled the New Zealand player without the ball. Mm-hmm. He then drops it. Did he have the ball in his hands just as he tackled him? I don't know. The angle is not good enough. Oh, he's tackling without the ball. It's uh, it's at least a yellow and potentially, uh, yeah. Remember, do they have to give the the, the penalty try now because they didn't at the weekend? Well, no, they didn't give the penalty try to Ireland, so Ireland get the rubber green this time. But you do it twice. No, you, you don't get the rubber the green. We 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 sacrifice for the greater good of the game. Oh, sorry, the of course. Now been applied because yeah. the team in black is the ones who are benefiting. But if Ireland don't win on Saturday, at least we can have that consolation from the entire tour as a whole. Okay, all right. OTBAM brought to you live every morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold at 1 o'clock is Barry Ryan's book, The Ascent. Uh, we've got Koi Gig, a Euro special at 3. Our career retrospective is Maddie Holland at 4. And OTB Gold, Life and Times of Johnny Kilbane at 6. Uh, Johnny Kilbane's a boxer from uh, Ackle, who left Ackle as like a 1-year-old and then went off to Cleveland and became the greatest boxer in history. Uh, um, in the 19-teens he was like the longest uninterrupted world champion uh, at any stage in boxing history so that is um, a yellow card for Jordan Larmer who has been very good in the game uh, up to this point I thought maybe he could let him get possession maybe it was a brilliant professional foul and we'll see but uh, let's wait and see <laughs> how the Mario Alex go uh, by his direct opponent but Ireland got a penalty the other way oh, I missed that bit how was that not just a it was oh, a they, there try. was a, it was a penalty try. Yeah, was, they yeah, gave the penalty try. They gave penalty try <laughs> and a yellow card. I missed that bit. So it's 20, 20 points to twelve, right? I mean, how is that a penalty try? There's like loads of cover. <laughs> wow. Well, no, I think the penalty try should have been awarded last week and this week and this week. I think it's a penalty try in both cases, isn't it? I mean, it, it certainly. Uh, La- the ring rose thing was a more certain. Well, to be fair, the ball wasn't passed. I know you were probably through this yesterday. The ball wasn't in ring rose's arms, whereas. This Maori All Black gentleman had the ball in his arms. 
Uh, there you go. Wow. Uh, follow off the ball across all our social channels. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the latest and best in sports content and analysis. Our Jaron Owen wearing matching shirts on purpose. Yes. Oh, Stephen Mack. Yeah, we, we colour coordinated this morning just to make sure that we are simpatico. After the break, we're live with the former Shelburne defender, Shauna Cook, who's going to give us the very latest on the Women's European Championships. First, the lads in last night's news round discussed how Kerry could become a dominant team in football again. This is what's going to happen. Oh. Four out of the next five. It, five out of the next conversations six. conversations before an All-Ireland final. That always ends well. Yeah. You're, you're like, it, it's, it's all set up for a long period of dominance. It couldn't be better. Your two best players are 24, 23, turning 24. Uh, uh, like it was kind of like careers their careers were flashing before my eyes midway through the uh, second half on Sunday where I was like these guys are not going to get the medals they deserve um, because it would have set them back so much a final defeat would still set them back that much I just kind of, having this conversation before the final no. bad bad idea no no they're winners I, the, Clifford in the first half was one of the all time great sports performances that I've ever been in the stadium for were, was, you, were you at it? it was sensational yeah oh, I didn't realise you were at it yeah totally like the one of the points he scores looked exactly like one of the goals he scored as a kid. Do you remember the goal that he kind of dribbles around where he's like Zlatan for Ajax in that preseason friendly yeah, yeah. those years ago? And the goal that he scores, it looked like he was going to go for the goal, but he didn't. He just chips the point, yeah, having yeah. weaved his way around four of them in the space of about five yards. Yeah, he ha- he hasn't gone for like a thirty-yard screamer at any point this season. Jack's, it's coming. Jack's uh, told him not to go for that. Suspect. No, it's coming. Sean O'Shea could also have fisted the ball over the bar before his goal it's which I thought was going to happen and I was like how did he get in for that so uh, right but you've got to be excited of course of course you're excited about a team in an All-Ireland final and uh, with a lot of youth on its side it's unbelievably exciting but talks about dominance can't happen until you have one All-Ireland in my opinion and one last point before you go if Dublin had got that free at the end to win the game there would have been absolute uproar by 31 other counties in the media this is the cl- the Dublin victim complex has been laid bare for everyone to see this week as if Dublin haven't been rightly lauded over the past few years I don't understand it maybe it's just getting used to the fact that they're not winning anymore maybe that's part of the whole victim complex that some the universe must be against you if you're not in the winner's enclosure there you go back after these uh, there were, there's a couple of nuances. It wasn't a classic game by any means. It was more akin to the 2011 and 2015 All-Ireland Finals rather than the 2013 and 2016 All-Ireland Semi-Finals. So it won't go down in the annals of the greatest games, but it certainly was one of the greatest finishes. And in some ways, it was a bit of a shot to nothing for him. I would have been very interested to see how he would have delivered that strike had it been to send the game to extra time. Mm. So in other words, if Kerry don't win, uh, score that free, they're out obviously all of the pressure is on him then nobody expected him to score that I thought it was outside his range but the ball was still travelling when it went over the crossbar I mean had had it been another 15 metres out he probably still would have nailed it it was just such a strike of purity and precision and the timing that is required it didn't even look like he was really straining it was just his usual style I'd say he felt very little pressure because of the stakes were a little lower than that he knew Kerry would, would go to extra time if he'd missed it but then at the same time They'd surrendered a six-point lead against a team that have had their number for the last 10 years. And it would have been another situation in which this group of Kerry players were struggling to get over the line. In the end, they fell over the line. Mm. I think this would have set them back years had they lost that game yesterday from the position they were in. And I suspect, and I'd say Dublin fans fear this might be the case, in 10 years' time, we will look back on that Sean O'Shea free as Kerry's Cluxton moment the catalyst for several years of sustained success because I think they've got a severe monkey off their back now having Mm. beaten their nemesis and come 
through real adversity in that last quarter of the game and it will really stand to them now because they've lost all the really big games they've played in the last three years. They lost to Cork in 2020. They lost that replay in 2019. They couldn't get out of the group stage of the Super 8 in 2018. Lost to Tyrone in their first real test last season. It's a Kerry team that just don't win the big games and they haven't shown that they can take the pressure when it's at its highest until they fell over that line yesterday. And under Jack O'Connor, I suspect this is going to bring them on an awful long way. And that could be the, the, the turning point for this group of Kerry players. The vast majority of their superstar players, their top players, mm. are in their early to mid-twenties. So, I mean, these are the peak years ahead of them. OTB AM. It is 20 points to 12, Ireland leading the Mary All Blacks. And we've got another three and a half minutes, I think, of a player in the bin, Jordan Larmer, uh, who conceded a penalty try to bring the Mary All Blacks right back into the game. So it's an eight-point lead for Ireland. There's 51 minutes on the clock, or is that a six? The um, picture's not great. Is it 61 minutes or 51 minutes gone? Um, I'll just get an update on that for you. We'll have full-time analysis from Keith Wood at around about 10 o'clock this morning. You'll need to click on the news stream for that, but we'll send a push notification to your app if you have the app and let you know what the crack is with that in the meantime we're talking about the Euros um, England annihilated Norway last night I'm delighted to say Shauna Cook is with us good morning to you how are you getting on? Hey how are you? Um, England's performance last night was uh, probably not unexpected in terms of them being very good but the absolute margin of victory sets a record for them in the Euros and sends a signal out to the rest of Europe that this team is the favourites for the competition is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I think after their first game, they looked a little bit edgy, um, which was expected. I mean, big crowd, first game after, you know, a huge marketing campaign and, and all eyes on them. Um, and I think they had to come into this game and, and really settle down um, or they'd kind of be left wide open for other teams uh, for a few shots at them. But um, I just thought from, I mean, the, the first minute that they looked like they, they wanted to draw blood and they were willing to to kind of say to Norway, we're, we're going to keep going for, for 90 plus minutes and not stop. And I mean, the, the penalty obviously was never a penalty, but it set the tone for the game because once they scored that, then it was, it was, I mean, the gates were wide open. Um, and yeah, for me, it was a, a really big shock. I, I thought England might pip the game, but um, I didn't think it'd be by that scoreline. So Norway are pretty good. Like, I think everybody expected a, a tight game, a proper test for England. Why did they fall apart? Well, I mean, this goes back to the to the to, yeah, Euro 2017. They had an absolute abysmal um, tournament in 2017. They were pretty much one of the favourites. They, they lost the three group games. And after that, there was kind of a whole, I suppose... Um, they came out to talk to the media about how they were going to, you know, really put things right, how they were going to go from strength to strength. And it was under the same manager. So there was an expectation that that, that just wouldn't happen again after 2017. And then this time around, the players that they have, like the likes of Hegerberg, Engen, uh, Caroline Graham Hansen, I think um, there was high expectation, but... For me, England had this really good high press. They had Ellen White backed up by four players behind her um, and they just weren't allowing um, Norway to play out. What surprised me most was kind of after the third goal, um, Tor's daughter, she's made a few mistakes and that's been her pattern even through the season with United. So I was, I was, uh, I thought she'd be taken off at half time. I was, Expected to knock out after half time. Even after the third goal, like there was nothing from the management or even those senior players in the pitch to go, do you know what? Let's stop trying to play out the back. Let's just, you know, get a solid bank of five and four for 
for a few, for a few minutes, see out this first half. But um, they kept trying to do the same thing over and over again, which I suppose is the the method of insanity. Um, so I just thought, yeah, they they crumbled after the the second goal, and and there was no coming back from that. Okay, so uh, that's them. I presume done in this tournament and they're not going to be live candidates because obviously they, they had a win already so it's not impossible that they qualify and, and maybe you know make some kind of recovery from this but if you were to uh, loosely give us a power ranking of who, who might stop England at this point very early very very early doors for us to be talking like that I know for but, me go on yeah yeah for me it would either be at this point the, the ones I could see stopping Germany are France or, or Germany and what about France and Germany have impressed you? France, uh, as everyone says, Wendy Reynard's France. Um, you know, she's a powerhouse at the back. Uh, there was a lot of controversy. The, the players they left out before the t- tournament, the likes of Henri, but, um, you know, the, the manager um, took some, I suppose, wild cards and it's paid off. The football they played there, they're really going for fluid football and they've a really strong attack similar to England. So and I think the battles between England and France are always there and Germany and Germany, they're you know, they're the most crowned team in this competition. Um they're physically strong. They dominate opposition. They're they're ruthless. The only thing for Germany is they've got a few COVID cases. So it's it's have they got the strength and depth? I think we'll see that this week. Uh, it's interesting you talk about um, that group as well because um, so obviously um, England are going to top their group at this stage, but it's the runners up from the group between Germany and Spain who they'll play in the next round. Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, I think that. Would, Potentially be either Spain or, or um, is the other Sweden? I think is it. I would have said that. I thought, yeah. yeah. No, no, sorry, Italy. It is. Yeah, Italy. Iceland is it? I think. Is it that group? I'm actually not oh, sure. Finland. Finland. That's it. Yeah, Finland. So uh, it'll be um, the yeah the likely big two out of that group will be Germany and Spain. All right. Uh, at this stage I mean obviously you're going to make England favourites Beth Mead I think was one of um, your pre-tournament expectations to end up with the golden boot she's come roaring back into the squad maybe with a bit of a point to prove and um, I don't know this goes to a point that was made earlier on in the show it looks like England have a um, competent coherent management structure in place and that might be one of the reasons why they were seeing such an improvement from them Yeah definitely like Serena Wigmar I mean what you've done with the Netherlands a couple of years ago in uh, the 2007 Euros come in six months before that tournament oh we've just lost our line to uh, Shane Cook there uh, it's uh, 2012 to Ireland 56 minutes gone at this stage um, the Mario Blacks had a good portion of pressure in the immediate aftermath of the penalty try that Ireland conceded but they were unable to make it count and have just made a couple of handling errors which have given Ireland the opportunity to get back in the game um, and just ease a little bit of the pressure that they felt. So there's uh, 56 minutes gone, Ireland leading the Mary All Blacks by 20 points to 12, and we're going to have full-time analysis and reaction from Keith Wood. Uh, I think we've got Sean Cook back. Uh, Sean, good morning to you. You're, you're back there, sorry. We were just talking about um, the, management, the management structure that they have and, and how better it is now than it was when it was Phil Neville. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the Serena has come in and she's really changed things around. She's she's. I think the word that's uh, that's going around a lot of the England players are saying is um, she's she sets standards and she's she puts a, a level of organisation in place that they haven't seen before. Um, the one thing I was impressed with was at the end of the game how she was telling them all to calm down. Um, which is something we're not used to seeing with, with England. They tend to kind of run with things and, and start to get their head in the, the clouds very early. So I was very impressed with that, with her after the game. She never she never gets too excited either. I, I mean, like <laughs> an England team winning a home tournament is obviously something that, um, you know, uh, nearly happened recently enough for the men. Uh, but you can see how big and important it would be for the game in England, you know, there would be a knock-on impact for the WSL if England were to win this. Yeah, 100%. Even, I mean, all the, the marketing and media attention that went into the tournament beforehand, like they were obviously lighting up landmarks with, with players on them. It was incredible. Um, and it would be fantastic for the WSL. Um, I think if, if England win the tournament, um, they'll just be our insufferable neighbours for a couple of years. Uh, speaking of uh, neighbours, Northern Ireland, two games, two defeats. Is this pretty much the level that we expected them to be at or should they have had slightly higher expectations? No, I don't think so. It was their first tournament. Um, I think Kenny Shields kind of, in fairness to him, has set them up to play. He, you know, he spoke about he didn't want them just to be a number in the competition. He wanted them to go out and, and give it a go. Um, you know, I, I think they've, they can come away with their heads held high. They've, they've tried to, to give it a go. They haven't just sat back and defended um, for 290 minutes their work rate has been impressive there's been players standing out the likes of Demi Vance has been playing really really well um, it's I mean they just got a really difficult group um, and you know that didn't help but uh, I'm sure they'll learn from this and, and bounce on from it Okay anything else stand out so far? Um, for me I think Portugal uh, would be a, a team to watch They've, they nearly caused an upset against Switzerland and they they got the draw, which was unexpected. And I think they had it in their locker to to cause an upset or two. So I, I'd I'd recommend viewers to watch the Netherlands Portugal game tomorrow evening at eight pm. Okay, tonight the game between Germany and Spain also worth watching. That one also kicks off at eight o'clock. Yeah, definitely. The I mean two powerhouses, two very different styles, and uh, I think the likes of Germany's Lena Magul and Spain's Bonatti are just brilliant players and really worth to watch. OK, uh, you had a couple of other names, apart from Beth Mead, who you think uh, are going to potentially be the golden boots. Uh, Leah Schuller, Schuller. Yeah, Schuller, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, Caroline Graham Hansen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I chose Caroline Graham Hansen um, before last night. Um, she's playing in the number 10 for an hour, which is something we haven't seen her playing before. Um, she plays out wide left for Barcelona. Um, but I think in the 10, she's, she finds, well, before last night, she was finding a lot of space. Um, so she's my wild card. And uh, Schuler, I think she was the Bundesliga top goal scorer. Um, and yeah, I, I think she'll shine. The only thing is she's now out with COVID. So it's how quickly they can get her back into the squad. Right. OK, so that's probably going to end up um, ruling her out of that. And Beth Mead's got a bit of a head start now after that as well. So uh, it'd be tricky for anybody to catch her. So your finalists at this stage, England, are, are we guaranteed, are we writing them in in pen at the moment? So we think they're going to go all the way to the final? Yeah, I think so. I, I just think from last night, what they showed is they're, they're ruthless. Um, and even the players that they brought on, there was no lull in performance. Sometimes when a manager changes, makes some changes, that can kind of impact the performance. But 
Um, I think they're just looking too strong at the moment um, to, to drop out before the final. And versus who in the final? I'm going to go with Germany. Um, and then I have our France as a, as a backup to, to say with the red face I get. But I think Germany, their team that tends to, they don't peak too early. They they go from strength to strength as the tournament goes on. And as I said, they're, they're experienced. Um, they're experienced in this competition. So the pressure is on the play, that bunch of players from a German perspective to, to go and, and do the business. All right, Shauna, good stuff. Thanks for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, Shauna Cook there giving us her thoughts on the Euros so far we'll obviously keep you up to date with the rest of the tournament and you've got to tune into Koi Gig which you can get on the OTB football feed on our podcast network you just subscribe to OTB football and Koi Gig will arrive though you can also just subscribe to the Koi Gig pod in its own feed as well now a reminder OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day well if a week is a long time in politics it's a lifetime in sport we've gone from 2-0 down to 2-all in the five match series in New Zealand with the decider and the big one obviously in the test series but Ireland have beaten the Mary All Blacks by 30 points to 24 Keith Wood good morning to you how are you? I'm very well thank you sure that was pretty um, pretty impressive stuff I mean when you think about it it's a scratch team who will never play again together uh, but it's clear that the quality of coaching and direction that the players are getting is sensational because they've gone from being just off the plane and hammered two weeks ago to now putting in a performance where you're like oh, you'd be happy watching any of these guys play for Ireland like, what a transformation incredible transformation I mean it's it's interesting when you talk about just being off the plane it is a, it's an incredibly long trip it's a very tiring trip at the end of a long season um, I would have said that in um, both the first matches uh, the Maori match and the test match we seemed to be quite flat and whether that was fatigue or whatever it was or the mixture of the players or whatever it was are not getting our minds right for the game, which, which can happen, and they can be have a legacy from one match to the next. But the reverse of that's equally true. So, uh, I thought our performance at the weekend was pretty phenomenal um, uh, in virtually every single aspect. And uh, and today it looks as if the confidence that had um, had gone from the previous week. Um, and the level of understanding of what it is that the coaches wanted the players to do and the fact that some of the players had played a match even that they just seemed to raise to a much higher level. So I look, I just thought they looked infinitely more comfortable, which which is great. I mean, an awful lot of the players played Heineken Cup. Some of them have played internationals, um, but most of their rugby is URC of a lower standard and this is a big step up to a higher level of skill and a very, very demanding place to go and play. Um, I think they may have been a bit shell-shocked with that, uh, uh, whatever, two weeks ago. Now they look as if they were fully immersed in what the tour was. So they, they seem to play with a higher level of understanding. And I think it's great in terms of their confidence. We shouldn't underestimate as well. So the, the conditions were absolutely abysmal. There's like howling wind. It's lashing rain, and uh, they can see the try pretty much from the first Mary All Black attack, and not a great try to concede. It's like a, a set move off a line out, off the top of the line out, and they sweep across from right to left in the corner. And you're like, "Ooh, this could be a long, long morning," but it didn't knock it didn't knock anything out of them. 
No, I mean, we were very narrow in that line-out. And I think a couple of the players bit in at different times, which gave them the overlap. But with the weather conditions as they were, and you could see it with an offload of the kicks as well, were if they weren't kicked absolutely perfectly purely, they kind of drifted. Um, they could have drifted 20 yards in the wind. So that can affect things. So you're probably better off to be tight and have an expectation that uh, long passes won't work particularly well. So, uh, look, I think we'd made a decision and then we didn't, well, New Zealand didn't do that any for any of the rest of the game. We could have been a bit shell-shocked by it, but we weren't. I mean, when you're playing, playing in New Zealand, even midweek matches, it's like a rugby NBA. You know, you're, you learn so much so quickly. There's, um, and if you don't, you fall by the wayside. And Irish teams in the past and tours down there have fallen by the wayside. So to see this team, which I think is a fairly young experimental team, I mean, there's a few old guys in there too, but they're still guys who would not have played a huge amount of rugby together um, for them to react in the manner in which they did. It was incredibly enjoyable to watch. I think that the back five that we've finished with, and maybe I'm wrong here, but uh, at one stage it might have been uh, 22, 21, 22, 23, 22 in, in terms of age. When, whenever Treadwell went off, I think he was replaced by Ryan Baird because he's obviously going to be on the bench for the weekend. Um, none of them looked out of place. And, and actually one of the last tries we scored was uh, with the heft of the second row getting the ball over the line for Coombs to touch down. You know, it looked like they, it really looked like they could be an Ireland pack I, I understand it's not against an international team and the Mary All Blacks are also a scratch team who will never play again together likely but you've got to be impressed by the fact that whatever messages they're getting from all aspects of the coaching tickets they've been landing Yeah I also think it's very positive and um, and I don't know but I know Andy Farrell reasonably well um, He's a pure out-and-out leader is what he is and has been. Um, he is a guy who wants attention to detail and he wants people to play very well, but he recognises that mistakes are as much a part of sport as anything else. And I think when you, if you're constantly complaining about a mistake being made, you won't even try anything. And I don't think that that's part parcel of this Irish setup. I think the, the willingness is to try and do different things and to take elements of risk. We were risk averse for a long time and it served us really well. But I think the progression from that is to move on to an idea to make calculated risks. And I think that has been um, part and parcel of, of this setup. And it seems as if there's still a level of joy in the squad. There didn't seem to be any joy in the first week. And now there seems to be an awful lot because they bedded into the idea. They, look, they seem to have a very high sense of belief. That makes it really exciting. So I thought the pack did very well. I thought Lockman did well. I thought Treadwell did really well. Um, McCarthy did well. Um, I thought Ryan Baird, when he came on, did well. Nick Timoney has had a huge influence on both those games. I think he stood up very well. Um, and I think Coombs has started to come back to having um, a little bit more about him. He got a pretty nasty bang into the ribs as well at one stage. And he was obviously suffering at the end and he hasn't played a huge amount of rugby. Um, and it'll be good to see how he kind of pushes on for the rest of the year for, from next season. But I think an awful lot of players showed very well. I was very happy with nine and 10. Um, I thought uh, Casey got a bit of a stinger at the start. So he was hanging out on the sideline for a while. He was hanging his arm for a while and yet he still played the whole game. Um, and I thought Frawley, I thought Frawley played very assuredly, and uh, and he looked very comfortable with it. And I liked that idea of a guy who's unflappable. And he went 
for long kicks to touch and they didn't go in. But we saw as the game went on, a lot of kicks didn't go where they should have go because of the swirling wind that was there. They're all things that you learn from it. And but I thought it was I thought it was really exciting on the back of last weekend. Yeah, um, we should mention Stuart McCluskey. There's, people are going to see an outrageous pass for the final Great try pass. that we scored. I didn't actually know he had that in his game as well as everything else. But that was um, as deft uh, skip pass, 25, 30 metre skip pass to send somebody straight through. It showed vision, it showed precision under the conditions. Um, maybe, maybe he's a candidate for a place on the bench at the weekend, given that Gary Ringrose isn't going to be there. Yeah, I mean, in fairness to McCluskey, he's been in and out of the squad for quite a while. I think, um, I don't know that he was entirely to uh, Joe Schmidt's liking because he was prone to an offload under huge pressure, which um, which uh, Joe wouldn't have ever liked. I think there may be more forgiveness within the Irish setup for that. Um, and it's to try and get the right play. It's the consistency of play from McCluskey um, and I think at times in, in in his career, he's tried to force too much, almost to prove the point that he can um, play that offloading game and he can do it all the time. It's when he plays with a little bit more composure, he offers an offload more um, for Ireland. So, But that pass at the end of a game, when everything is fatigued, was the right decision at the right time with perfect execution, which is great. So, I mean, again, it'll be very interesting to what happens on the bench at the weekend. Um uh, it's interesting around Carberry. It's interesting around Frawley. I think they go with Carberry on the bench. Um, but I think we saw an awful lot more today of the potential that Frawley can can offer. And um, I'm delighted to see him step up because he had a nervy day on one of his first starts at 10 for a lot, an awful long time. A couple of weeks ago, he played far more short today. So I think there's an awful lot more in that experiment to see yet. Yeah, I, I do wonder, like, we, we might not see him play at 10 very much more before the World Cup. Like, it's definitely one of the... the well, we have to. I mean, we have to. We have to We have to progress with different with different options and with, with all the best will in the world. And I'm a huge fan of Joey Carberry. And I also think everybody is trying to give him the best chance that they possibly can. But he needs to regain his confidence as quickly as he can. Um, he has played pretty well for Ireland at times, but we need to see him playing consistently at 10, managing and bossing a game. And he seems to have lost a bit of that confidence. I'd like to see him get it back if he can. But in the meantime, we can't be reliant. Um, and I know we don't want to always go back to Johnny Sexton conversations because he was truly phenomenal on Saturday. He really was phenomenal. But we can't be relying on a 37-stroke 38-year-old when we get to the next World Cup Um uh, and or players who don't have confidence. That's what we did five years ago. We went into, or four years ago, we went into a World Cup where um, we didn't have enough uh, strength and depth of people who played enough of matches at that stage. And that's one of the few uh, lingering doubts that we have. We would like Johnny to be able to play at that standard he played last weekend uh, without getting injured at all. But we know that the rugby gods play cruel games at different times. So, um, we need more strength and depth. So, can I ask a question like about, about the policy? Right, so David Nusafora was was um, sitting in the in the box uh, behind the Ireland team coaches there yesterday. They must be looking at Frawley going. He's not going to play very much rugby unless something something happens. Is there a scenario where we loan him? We break our rules for the World Cup and we loan him to somewhere where the deal is you've got to pick him week in week out if he's fit and he's got to play ten. A French team, an English team, 
somebody and say you've got him for a year up until the World Cup and we're going to continue to pick him for Ireland we're breaking our own rules because this is a national emergency yeah, I mean, look, I don't know whether that is the case, but the, we are in a bit of an emergency unless other players come to the fore. So um, uh, that's like we're in a we're in a quandary. We've been in this quandary for five years, six years now. So um, that's the issue that we're trying to deal with. I would. It may be the case that you can go closer to home and say, well, actually, we'd rather see him be picked more often in Leinster. And that doesn't require any change of it. It does require a level of additional uh, imposition onto Leinster coaches. And I don't know that they'll take to that very well, um, but it may be the, the requirement. And it's trying to get the balance of everything that you, requ- you require right. I think it's just one of those really, really awkward elements. Now, we're equally looking to see whether one of the young guys in Munster will come up to the fore or not. But for them, they'll have to get they'll have to start playing an awful lot more rugby or we need Joey to find a higher level of confidence because at the moment he's not where he was and we do need to make certain that we end up with enough of players in strength and depth and that's the one area well we have a couple of areas of weakness but that's one of them so we want to make certain it's a strangely it's our area of strength and weakness in equal measure because you're only an injury away yeah, that's the thing like um yeah, my rugby supporting friends are like it's hard to get too excited about the Rugby World Cup at the moment because we're so invested in Sexton and yet it's hard not to get excited because Sexton is playing so well it's like it is a conundrum that we're that one injury away the one thing I'd say the, a tweet went viral at the weekend from uh, one of the Welsh rugby podcasters Josh Gardner congratulations to Ireland on peaking a year out from the Rugby World Cup again 3,000 likes the one difference this time is that our style of play is continuing to evolve and it's actually not just built on a few core fundamentals. It's built on trying to play the game the way the game should be played. And so we are offloading, we are taking chances. We're not presenting the same threat week in, week out. We're presenting different threats. And whoever comes into the team, it appears, understands that and is actually capable of executing it. That's the one bit that gives me much more confidence this time than the previous time when we were really good at a very specific, narrow style of rugby. Well, what gives me confidence is that we were we were kind of beaten in the pack in the first test. Uh, when we got to the second test, we weren't. And one of the reasons was that our front rows got far more involved in the tighter stuff than they did in the looser stuff. And that's a change. One thing I like from watching Farrell is he was, he's quite happy to change from week to week, um, give a story to the players, get the, the, the players to buy into it, and then see it happen on the field on that Saturday afternoon. So that's, that is a huge progression, you know, and um, I would have said in 2017 uh, in, in, in particular, in 2018, when we were playing at our pump, um, every single thing had to go right and it went right until teams figured out how to stop it. And then we didn't have something else. Now we're chopping and changing quite a lot more. I think it, it makes us into, we're going to have hiccups and mistakes and it may not always work, but we are far um, less predictable. And uh, and I think it puts us into a stronger position. So look, I, for me, I still would like somebody playing like Johnny does at, at, at 10. I think the style... 
like we were talking about this two or three years ago. And if we were talking about it, the, the style in which we were playing, I said, you can't, there's no way in the world you can bring Johnny Sexton to the World Cup. And we said it at the time because that style meant he was getting hit on the game line or he was being unbelievably deep. Now, I just think he is protected by the style a little bit more and he's been able to think his way through everything and his mind is light years ahead of anybody else at the moment. Yeah. So, um, his body may not be, but his mind is, which is pretty fantastic. So look for all of that, I'd be very happy. And I think other people can can fit into it. So but we're looking for someone who has to be relatively robust and that might fit into that as well, because you will always come in for a bit of a bit of hits and um and as you're trying to ease your way into that style, a lot of people have uh, nowhere near the understanding of of uh, of Johnny in that role, so they're going to get smashed up a little bit trying to figure it out. So you need a bit of robust there. Yeah, and look for whatever reason, poor Harry Byrne hasn't had an opportunity to show what he's capable of. But a pecking order yeah. gets established on tours like this. Frawley's now ahead of him in that pecking order for the international setup. Something's going to have to happen at Leinster. Um, if you know Rossburn is their favourite son, he has been completely reliable for them when they've been trying to reach this level. Uh, whenever Sexton hasn't been there, so um, there's definitely some hard conversations to be had about the ten now, really, because it's this season that somebody's going to have to get enough game time. So the next few weeks are going to be particularly interesting off the pitch um, and maybe we don't get to find out about it until afterwards just a couple of comments that are, are rolling in here uh, whatever happens on Saturday it's a great tour says i.e. Shane Connor Pratt says I would say most people would have taken two wins from five before this tour started now we're in with a chance of three out of five uh, Eamon Lockin says Coombs Frawley for the first team squad Timoney also played great does anybody who played today actually influence the thinking for the game at the weekend or are they, you know, in the selectors' minds completely separate and so all we're doing here is making sure that the depth the depth chart is now much more realistically padded out everywhere with the exception of the 10 spot that we're talking about? I think it's a mixture of both of them and uh, a lot depends on on injury and um, like we noticed today, Bielan went went off the off the bench before kickoff. So there's uh, it's the end of a long year. Those guys will get injured, get hurt. There are we're still waiting on reports back from HIAs as to what which players we have that are available. So it, you know, I think a few players put their hands up today. I think like I really want to see Coombs get back to where he was a couple of years ago. I think he was a freer spirit a couple of years ago. Um, and this may be too quick for him this this weekend. Um, Frawley, I, I I'd like to see Frawley exposed in as many big matches as we can because he seems to learn. I mean, I think the improvement from two weeks ago to today was pretty stark. And so you'd like that trajectory to continue wherever you can. You can put him on the bench in, instead of Gary Ringrose this weekend. So Bundy's going to start, we, we assume, yeah. because he's been great um, off the bench. Uh, and he's, Bundy's been great, yeah. So let's assume he starts. And then there is a room, there's room for them to do something there. Like you could put Frawley on and then depending on who gets injured or, or what the requirements are, maybe he comes on and Joey is left in reserve or maybe I don't know there's no chance they drop Carberry and put Frawley on the bench after tonight is there? I don't know if there is I think you could have both of them there so it's 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 one of those interesting elements what do you have at the end we don't know what the ins and outs of the team are who's who's rocking up with a huge amount of bangs I mean look I got I was just so interested with last week with the way some of the players stood up last week I thought 
I thought Peter Mahoney was phenomenal. Um, I thought um, Johnny was phenomenal. Um, like there were so many players that just seemed to, to to up their game with it. Ty Byrne was just incredible last weekend, you know, and he was poor the weekend before, and he and he was. He hadn't played any rugby. Yeah, you just see the benefit of that game. It's really hard to back that up again the second week running. Um, because you can raise yourself for a very big game, and it's, but to do it again and again when you haven't played a huge amount is very, very tough. For me, what it showed was that you, if, if and when Peter Mahoney is gone, and he seems to have dipped his toe in the fountain of youth, but um, I think Ty Byrne is his replacement on the flank because they play something very, very similar, very good in the line out, very awkward at, at breakdown. Um, and I think it shows a higher sense of balance that we can have in the team if we do that. We, uh, but I, look, I don't know. It, it depends who rocks up. Depends what training is like. There's very little training now. It's all in the mind for the most part between now and and Saturday. And you want people to be as fresh as they can. And they're going to be hungry anyway. And there's an unbelievable opportunity. The prize is incredible there for them. I don't get ahead of the game at all. Um, I did kind of dream a little bit about last week because I think Dunedin is a very unusual ground. It just, it, it really is. There's always something kind of a bit different. We've been very close there before, but the manner in which we performed last week surpassed anything I could have dreamt about. So I'm still allowed to dream for this week. Quinny said yesterday on the show that he he thought today's game was actually going to be important for a couple of different reasons, uh, that it, it, it sets the tone and it, it, it keeps the mood going and I wasn't sure about it but afterwards I'm like yeah absolutely I can see now because what it does is it, it re, it's a positive reinforcement of all of the messages that everybody's been giving each other since they decided they were going to put that performance in and unlock that performance at the weekend it's like this kind of rolling ball of confidence and um, you know happiness and smiles and conversations and like look I don't know can they carry it into the uh, you know everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth first thing happens somebody gets simbined or whatever on Saturday and it doesn't matter but it feels like it matters now because they did stuff that under pressure was sticking to a game plan that is the evolution of the style of play it's like you, you know scratch the surface and you get the same stuff so the style of play is embedded so deeply that young players coming into the squad after a couple of weeks are now doing what the senior players are doing and that's exciting that's exciting um, style is, is unbelievably important confidence and attitude is incredibly important um, when you're touring on the other side of the world it tends to be quite hostile like New Zealand is a hostile place to go. Um, they're very friendly, except when it comes to rugby, and it's not friendly at all, and it makes it really, really tough. So you have to get your attitude right uh, really, really quickly. Um, I always remember from Lions days, but and before my time, uh, Donald Lennon, who was uh, captain of the midweek team to uh, Australia in '89. Everybody, it was Donald's Donuts, they called it, right? The, the midweek team. They were unbeaten and, and it was considered the most important part of the tour that there was never a lapse in attitude or concentration and the, the responsibility of the midweek team was to deliver, to put pressure on the players who were going to play on the Saturday, but also to say that we're always here, we're always pushing behind you, we're always wanting to have the same level of success as the test team would have. And that raises everything. And I think that has shown for me in the attitude today. 
doesn't guarantee anything in any way, shape or form. Um, and as you've just said, it if there's a yellow card or a red card, and we haven't talked about that in the game at the weekend, whether we would have continued to go on and win if there hadn't been a red card or if there hadn't been a flurry of cards. And for me, the officiating has been incredibly hard to watch because it's yo-yoed, depending on which referee was playing. Um, one thing I will say that, uh, that comes out of this trip or this tour and other tours of this uh, um in this summer is that we need to find a way to make the game less complex to understand for the fans. It's for people who've played the game and for even people who are involved at the moment, they're actually doubting whether what they're seeing is right, wrong or indifferent for the fans. It's almost impenetrable. So that makes it very difficult. Well, the, the matrix around the cards, like there's uh, 42 different or whatever the number is, 400 different uh, potential permutations. It's inevitable that there will be a mistake. When you watch a guy, guy, Ger, standing on the sideline counting players with his fingers, you know this is bullshit. You know, this has to be tidied up. Something is wrong. Yeah. Um, A couple of texts coming in, right? Mark McDonough says, Frawley for the bench, Joey out. You have cover at 10 and 12 then. And then Kigo says, the problem is that if both Frawley and Carberry are on the bench, one of them will end up coming on in a different position than we want him, which is what has been happening to both provincially. So... Um, well, we have to enjoy the, the moment and live in the moment for this moment because this is quite unusual. And this is very different from three or four weeks ago when you're going down there to say, well, we want to blood players. We want to try and see if we can eke a win. That would be fantastic. Um, you also want to try and notch a piece of history if you can. And know that the circumstances are that we're one all going into a final game. You do absolutely everything you can to win the series. That's first and foremost. And um, and can you maximise that by having um, um, a couple of different opportunities on at the back? I, I, I think you can sell your soul for this weekend. And yeah. it, may not, it may not fill the plan for exactly what happens in the World Cup, but we can't consistently do that over the next 12 months. So that's the, that's the point I would say on that one. Yeah, OK. One other thing that was interesting was that um, it is indeed a penalty try when you hold back a player who is being passed the ball but is tackled without it uh, so maybe, maybe at the weekend if there hadn't been a red card who knows what would have happened but um, I'm glad that the rules do still apply in those circumstances uh, as the All Blacks were awarded one today and we weren't on, on the weekend yeah I just it's it's the variance from the the attitude of people at different times I mean look I had one for uh, when was it Stevenson he tried to uh, catch the ball and then tried to kick it and the referee had said in his mind, well, there was no way he was tapping that up to try and catch it again. Well, he nearly pulled a hamstring trying to kick the ball so it didn't hit the ground. Now, you could say he was covering his ass, but on the same token, I think a lot of those knock-ons that are given as deliberate and yellow cards shouldn't be. Because in a lot of the cases, he was going for an intercept because he went all, all out to go for it. Um, and uh, for me, that's one of the things that I just think pushes it too hard. It comes down to the interpretation of what somebody says. So you had a touch judge and a referee openly disagreeing over how they saw it. Um, now, I would still go back and say the referee's call is sacrosanct, but I mean, it's, it's just hard. I just think it's, there's, there's too many laws that are open to kind of crazy interpretations and ones that are simple, like ones that are, are, make sense make sense and ones that don't don't you know so it, it, at times we get stuck in total pedantry and yeah. that makes it very I mean look the idea of 
last week that New Zealand should have gone down to 12 players and I understand the reason and rationale why but that's rubbish Oh, it's, that, it's, it's, it's the stupidest rule it, it, it would have, yeah. it, like it killed the, uh, the Italy game and in, the, in their circumstances it was because of injury it's just it, they've, they've overthought it to the point of, of ruining everything but look we're nearly completely out of time you did this post-match after the, the first game against the um, Mario Blacks with Owen and I remember listening to it thinking you're actually relatively positive here even though we just got killed and you've been proven correct there was enough in that that you saw that we were like making some uh, accommodation with the scoreline and uh, there's been a complete mind shift from everybody about our level of expectation for what's going to happen this weekend so call it for me now what's going to happen at the weekend well there's a plan until there's a better plan that's one thing that always works anytime you talk about this um I have no idea what's going to happen at the weekend. There's a kind of a joy in that too. So I would have said if we had got a win, I would have been unbelievably happy. But like we're greedy. We want more, you know, and um, and we want it to be a stepping stone and not, uh, and not the end. But we have to learn to enjoy the moment as well. I mean, last Saturday... I was nearly as excited as you can get watching a game or a game of rugby because when you see a team like Ireland go out and play to that level, you know, in New Zealand, it's pretty extraordinary. So I think we have a chance and I think that chance depends an awful lot on our attitude and our attitude has improved as the tour has gone along. I'd like it to continue to improve and that doesn't mean anything at all. I think the pressure on New Zealand is extraordinary. On Sam Kane and on Ian Foster, I can't only imagine how much pressure they're feeling. So what's their what's their reaction going to be? Is it going to be hard edge? Is it going to be silky skills? Is it going to be whatever it takes to get the win? Um, but I think both of their jobs could be on the line if they don't get the win. So that's an interesting pressure pressure to, to play into their minds. With back-to-back tests. Know. I'm just looking forward to it. That's it. Yeah, with back-to-back tests against South Africa to come for them as well. And we're going to play South Africa in November as well. Um, one last one here. Frawley in for Carberry and Timoney or Coombs in for ring row six forwards on the bench and loads of options for the last 15 minutes um, certainly there's plenty for them to think about uh, and then somebody else here is saying Coombs and Timoney on the bench when we play against South Africa France or England they're beasts they don't have the skills of Doris or Van der Fleer or Conan but they are the definition of robust and suddenly the world looks a very different place with a bit of strength and depth and some wind in your sails keep great stuff enjoy the game at the weekend thanks a million we'll talk to you real soon cheers cheers OTB With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.